0: Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a group run by Warren Jeffs, which I moved out of when I was 18 years old.
1: I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for almost eight years and have two beautiful babies. Yes. And today we have a special guest, Eskel Grant. What's up, guys?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, we're so excited. Um, Some of you may know his older sister, Amanda Ray, and her YouTube channel. And Eskel has now newly started his own channel. What's the name of your channel?
2: It's Eskel Grant. It's spelled E-S-K-E-L, and then my last name, Grant. It's super unique, so if you even just type in those first five letters, then I come right up. Not a lot
0: of Eskels out there, huh? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So if
1: you want to hear more of what it is like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, and go and subscribe and like on Eskel's channel as well. Like and subscribe, and you'll get to hear more about what it was like for all of them. Yes. For
0: today, we are very excited to have Eskel here. Uh, He has... He comes from the Kingston Group. Uh, we've had his sister Amanda on here and have sh- shared some of her stories, but it's going to be very interesting to see the differences that it, uh, that it was for the men versus the women in that group. Oh,
2: yeah. Major differences. For sure. And
1: I'm personally excited to get to ask questions and see the similarities and the differences between the men in the Kingston group and the way the men in the FLDS groups, like what their roles were, what was yeah. expected and what you guys were taught. So comparing the men's roles to me, I'm like really excited for that as well. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs>
0: Well, sounds great. Well, let's get right into it then.
1: Yeah, we're basically, let's just start at the beginning. So where did you grow up and what was your, what does your family look like? Like how many mothers? And-
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
2: So um, I grew up in West Valley City, right in, right close to Salt Lake City in Utah. That's kind of where the order, I guess the main base is for it all. And my family, I mean, I consider it pretty average size, but it's, it's large for most people. But I am the fourth child of 10 altogether. So 10 that come directly from my mom. Okay. And then if you count all the siblings, there's 32 of us. Okay. So
0: So. similar actually to my family. I mean, my mother has 12 and then there's 35 of us uh, full-blooded and half siblings.
2: Yeah.
1: i was just going to ask, are those all from the same father?
0: Yep.
2: Every single one of them.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So starting off pretty similar to me so far. Yeah. <laughs> now,
1: did you grow up, uh, one thing that I had heard was a difference is in the Kingston group, did you all live in the same house? Like Sam grew up with all the mothers in the same place and with their father. Ooh. How was your, like, what does your family look like as far as living situations?
2: It was very different because at least for me, like I, I, I did consider them having three moms and like they were my moms, but... They, I knew my moms didn't get along super well, so that oh, okay. would have been oh. really hard, all of us living in one house. So I'm glad we did not have that.
1: Were the moms able to be but. vocal about that? Like, Were they vocal mm-hmm. about the fact they didn't get along?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, they don't try to be, but it's pretty obvious. Anyone oh, okay. that keeps an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure.
0: See, the, the, in my family, the moms kind of had to keep everything
1: looking like it looking like it was fine
0: Mm -hmm. and if they did have any concerns they just had to kind of sweep it under the rug because they weren't allowed Mm -hmm. to really speak up about things like that Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be obedient and do what they were supposed to do and Mm -hmm. but we all did live in the same house together all the moms that is one big family we knew who our moms were uh Mm -hmm. of course but i was closer to some of my half siblings than i was to my full-blooded because they were closer in age Mm -hmm. so okay definitely different in that aspect
2: yeah and for me like we would all come together for like christmas or big events and we'd sleep over all the all 32 of us in one house and i remember it was just such a relief when we got to go home because it would just be a mess and it would just be so much happen and it was fun i remember the first like Going to visit them and like spending that time with them was a blast because I was just a kid. I would yeah. add to all of the messes and stuff yeah. Just have a ton of fun. But then having to, being able to go home and have my at uh, least only less kids, I guess, was just a nice break. For <laughs> only sure. 10
1: kids in the house yeah. felt like a relief. Very peaceful. <laughs> Very peaceful
0: with only 10, right? <laughs> uh-huh.
1: so, each, so each of the mothers had their own home. Mm-hmm. Did your yeah. father have his own home as well or did he rotate between the homes?
2: He just rotated. He basically, his home was the trunk of his car. (laughs) I remember him opening his trunk and he'd have like all of his clothes and just pretty much he lived out of his car and would just take the things they needed to each house. I think the goal was because like he kept on talking about wanting to have three of everything. And like if he had enough money, he would probably just have three of everything and keep everything at each of the homes hmm. but at least in the meantime he just anything that he couldn't he would just take with him in his car so Interesting. Wow. So there
0: wasn't like a favorite mother that he would that he would spend more time in one specific house?
2: Oh yeah, there was definitely favorites and okay. there was you know, this, there was always one wife that had the nicer house, the bigger house and stuff. Uh, and so I'm sure he always no wonder had they always stuff.
0: they were they were fighting then. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah,
2: exactly. Did that I'm,
1: ever get swapped? Like your dad gets in a fight with one of the wives and he's like, you move into the nicer house.
0: Well,
2: not quite that way, but I did see a lot of the times where if a certain wife was maybe being like on a better behavior or being really good, then it did seem like she got more of the nicer things. And I think my situation was a little bit unique because it was pretty well known. And maybe I'm biased on this, but I thought it was very well known that my mom was kind of like the favorite wife. So I remember like thinking that we did have a little bit nicer stuff than a lot of my Mm. half siblings and other people and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't it wasn't always like that. There were some times like where the first wife did have the bigger home and have the nicer stuff uh, for a while. And maybe like she was the favorite for a time period or something, you know. Hmm. And so, and I think they, they don't like pick, oh, this was my favorite and that. It's just kind of like they do what they want, you know? If they yeah. feel like giving this person more stuff or if they're being nicer to them, there's not really like rules or regulations. So it just kind of whatever happens, happens. And
0: how, how close together were these houses that the different wives stayed in? Was it all within a mm-hmm. similar area or were they scattered around the city?
2: They were kind of scattered because the only rule is really you got to be within the... Close enough to go to church, you know? Okay. You have to be able to go to church every Sunday. So at one point... We, like, my mom really wanted, like, begged and begged for a nice, bigger house, and she finally got it, but in order for us to afford it, it was, like, really far out, so we had to commute and drive, I think it was, like, 45 minutes to basically anything, any order of any. Any, like, church or just any dances was a lot of driving for sure.
3: But.
0: Wow. And so everyone in the in the Kingston group or that belonged to the church would all meet in the same meeting house each Sunday? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, the, it was a pretty central area for all of you?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, because we built our lives around that, you know. It's mm-hmm. like you honestly, for the majority of, like, Kingston history, you it's not an option to be a part of the Kingston group and live out of state or or different things they're trying to do that more now they technically have another branch and i think it's pennsylvania or something you know but it's just really small and for the most part you have to be there within interesting that area so about
1: how many members if it was all in one meeting house about how many members do they have
2: well for most of my growing up it was only about three to five thousand uh, they say now that I've been talking to them, it's closer to like nine to ten thousand because it's grown. Most of them are just a lot of babies, but I mean, there there's only been like two families that have that weren't born into it that have joined. So oh wow, so it grows. So it grows. Very small.
1: So it grows. Strictly from from them having posterity. that kids. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. that's yeah. very
0: interesting and very similar to the FLDS. Mm-hmm. I know exactly. of two, actually three converts to the church. Okay, uh, but that's it. Mm-hmm. It was very un common
2: and do they have to pay a fee to join because i know the order has a fee for anyone that joins really a religious base and they still make them pay to join and and like a one-time a a one-time fee
0: fee
1: or a tithing well i
2: mean they have to pay tithing that's just the regular though everyone does that but then to join you have to pay a fee just to join the kingston group
1: what was the fee
2: uh you know. I've heard different numbers from everyone but the most common number right here is the $5,000 to join per person too. So if like, so like so if you have a family of five would or you whatever.
1: have to pay $5,000 per child too?
2: I don't know exactly but from what they what I've heard then yeah it's per person so Did
0: oh. 20, they oh, did they ever tell you what the fee was for? That's what was going to ask. Um I mean like
2: they the, talk about like it's a membership fee like like you're joining a cult basically. <laughs> 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 no they don't say it like that but it's like to be to get your place as a member like, that
3: interesting is, that
1: is so unique because like, I feel like most of the time people get brought into these small groups or small religions or culture or whatever you want to call them and they get dragged in emotionally and then they start asking for things but to like be straight mm-hmm. up right from the beginning and be like just so but you know, you're going to be able to even get to be with us, you've got to pay up. Mm-hmm. You got to wonder if that helps or hurts. I mean, I guess if there's not going well, to Well, I'm sure it hurts. hurts. Yeah, yeah. They only
2: get like the two people so, per year. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
0: just that that is so interesting. And it th- does the church provide a lot of stuff for the people or is it just the teachings? No,
2: it's like um a virus when you just suck everything out of the people. Oh. Kind of. That's oh, why because wow. they are a business, you know. They everything they do is to get something other than, you know, they if you if you go at it with purely a spiritual perspective, that's like, sure, you're gaining your salvation. So, yeah, I'll give you my money, my time, everything. To go to heaven i guess so to order members it's like it's worth it and yeah it takes a lot from the people but you get something you can't get anywhere else but from an outside perspective it's like it looks so much like a virus you're just sucking everything out of people yeah they have to pay to even just be involved in it then they have to commit to the 10 percent. then they have to commit all their time and their talents and just do everything they tell them to it's like that's a lot to ask so for
1: the tithing i'm curious because growing up lds we pay 10% of our income mm-hmm. and it's just flat. That's what you paid consistently year round. The FLDS, they had like tithing calls where it wasn't 10%. They just, whenever they asked for it, you had to give them money. What was it like for the Kingston group? Like what did tithing hmm. look like?
2: Well, from what I understood from it, it was 10% of just any time you money goes in, like even a, a dollar. If you're putting in a dollar, they would just take 10% of that because they would always say even... When you would get paid cash, if you just did like, I don't know, a construction job or something, they would say, take that money, turn it into the order bank, and then take the money out and go buy your stuff. That way you would turn it in, they'd take 10%, and then give you it back after they took
0: the 10%. This is away. sounding
1: had Wait a minute. Okay.
0: okay. You
1: had a bank? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like Not like a real official bank, but like the orders bank. Yeah, they had their own okay
0: like, so, tell me so more this is, this is starting to sound familiar <laughs> this is starting to sound a little bit like the the church storehouse in the flds where okay yeah. where the members were forced to give everything to the church storehouse mm-hmm. and then the storehouse would kind of decide what they got
2: yeah it's very similar in fact i mean i don't know exactly when this transition happened but it, it used to be a storehouse because if you go farther enough back in in the Uh, Kingston history, then it was just a storehouse and it was 100%. And they they still technically do 100%, but you do 10% where you don't get, like, they don't even keep the record of it from you, you know, that you turn $100, they take 10%, you have $90 that technically shows that you contributed $90, right? So they could keep track of how much you can ask for when you ask for money for, to buy whatever, you know, but then you still technically have to commit that $90, the other 100% to be consecration that they try to live too. So they, yep. they still do both of it.
1: Okay. So you make a hundred dollars and you put it into their bank
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you, do you have to like fill out a slip or something when you want it? and well, you want to buy a car.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Are they, so they keeping
1: a tally and then you say, can I get $5,000 to buy this car or do they give you the $90 back and you keep it in a regular bank account and you save up for your car?
2: No, you keep it in theirs. So they have this thing called a statement. So it's almost like a little bit like a bank account. It says, so like you would put in a hundred dollars and then your statement will say you have $90 that so shows that you contributed $90. So you could okay. essentially ask for that $90 back but if they don't have it, then of course they can always deny it at any time because you sign your consecration form saying that it's all the orders. It's, <laughs> everyone's money is in one pot, one bank account, but they do keep a statement saying who contributed how much because you know people that contribute more than they're more lenient about letting them take some out and stuff like that yeah. so they do keep a tally on everything that you do wow. gotcha. so can
1: they just say no whenever they want if they think you're being too frivolous like if you're like i oh, want to yeah. buy a new pair of oakley's it's and they'd less, be like no you don't need oakley's
2: oh yeah and it's less now but especially when i was younger i remember them announcing like this christmas don't buy too many gifts don't spend too much like like i i don't know what it was for but my thought is maybe the order invested in something and lost a lot of money or something you know uh. so they were there would be time periods where they'd be like don't spend a lot of money whereas they claim now that i still talk to a lot of the members there they say it's way less like that they're a lot more lenient but they still they still say no there's rarely any order members that drive really nice cars and stuff if you ask And then they'll consider that a luxury and they'll easily say no so
0: so who's Uh, they like who what who's who's making these decisions is there i know you have your leader is he mm -hmm. called a prophet
2: oh yeah definitely the Uh, prophet paul
0: okay the prophet (laughs) paul so you have your prophet paul and then who's who's beneath Mm
2: -hmm. him he's got his there's kind of like the top three he's at the very top and then he has his two closest brothers that help mm. him. And uh, if you think about, it, though, it's kind of like there are five of his brothers that he gives a lot of authority and power to. And those are known as like the five main leaders, the f- five main families of the whole organization and everything. Wow. Are, there,
1: are there apostles like there are in the LDS? Because for those of you who aren't familiar with the LDS church, it you have a prophet. He has two counselors, a first counselor and a second counselor. And then you have the 12 apostles. Um, and then there's continues to be Very organized, structured leadership below. Obviously, the LDS Church Mm -hmm. is a lot bigger than the Kingston or the FLDS, so the structure goes down a lot further.
0: Not only the structure going down, but also... Uh, as far as like apostleship and all that everyone knows exactly who the next prophet's yeah. going to be it's very
1: orderly and very organized
0: everyone so, knows what's going to happen so yeah. with the
1: Kingston group if he's the prophet and there's these four other men do they, are they called counselors are they called apostles and are there any apostles
2: well I would just think of it if like if you're trying to compare it to the LDS church it's like the LDS church on like steroids or someone was creating that while they were on cocaine because <laughs> there's not a lot of structure to it there's really like I, I swear the people just make it up as they go. And yeah. they, they have the LDS church as like a reference for them to look. If they like don't know what to do or like what to label something, then I'm sure they look at some of the things that they've done to help with their structure. Oh. But I really think that they just kind of, if they if it's not convenient for them, they'll change it however they want. Because just like that, with 12 apostles, it's like technically they have a position that's very similar, but they don't put a number on it because all the numbered men technically are apostles with that hmm. they would consider the same type of classification and there's a hundred people with numbers in the order so a
0: hundred yeah. people in the order have numbers mm-hmm. and numbers mean what
2: basically it's kind of like your ticket to heaven or they they hate when we say ticket to heaven because they they <laughs> they don't call it that but if you think about it that's basically what it is but they call it just meaning that you have earned your like you're very spiritual you've earned your place in the kingdom of god and like you've like solidified it kind of like, so they the right.
0: seems like they're kind of uh, twisting the term of uh, second anointment uh, from the mainstream LDS church. Second anointment. I'm not even sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask
1: before Uh I can compare to whether that's true. Once you get your number, is there anything that you can do to have your number taken away from you?
2: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Like I said, they can do anything, you know, they make up the rules as they go. And they, I think when numbers were first established, it was your ticket to heaven. Like you couldn't get it taken away. You know, you got your place in heaven, but there's with enough time, there's been numbered men that have disagreed with the prophet and like wanted to change things. And so they have actually Taking numbers away from certain people and reassigned them to other people.
1: Okay, because it's so. like if there's a reassignment, that would then, be a little bit would, different than the that second would be anointing. Different, yeah. mm-hmm. Second anointing in the LDS churches, you have to be in a very high position normally, like apostle or higher. It's very, very select and mm-hmm. a lot more secretive. A lot of people don't even know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they go through the temple and there's a special ceremony where they... Are basically insured a spot in the celestial kingdom. What? But I didn't from, know this. But from what yeah. I understand, wow. um, yeah. okay. you can't. At that point, the only thing that could keep you from yeah. that would be um, becoming a son of perdition, like denying the Holy Ghost, denying the church as a whole, and like completely.
0: Which Shine has away. happened, and and the, you know, so technically it could be taken away from you in, yeah, in some sh- sense of I'm the sure word. I'm sure the person we're talking mm-hmm.
1: about that had gotten the second anointing and then he left the church. I'm yeah. sure he's no longer second anointed, but oh. it's not. I've only ever heard of that happening once ever. But mm-hmm. normally, second anointing is only someone that's so high that they're never going to stray from the church. And wow. they haven't so but I mean oh. they're not numbered in that way, but it is like a very special and it's for very few number of people mm-hmm. rather than like obviously most people are trying to get to heaven and mm-hmm. don't have a number and are still gonna get there. Yeah. In the LDS. But So similar have, but different, it sounds
2: yeah, like do Yeah, do you have mm-hmm. to
1: have a number to get to heaven?
2: To the highest, yeah, the celestial because they'll yeah. even say that the wives that are married to those numbered men, then because they're married to them that's kinda of their they connection take, to it
0: take basically. on that number they, they mm-hmm. become a part of him
2: yeah they've even taken it farther now they never taught this when i was in the kingston group but now they're even saying if your husband's number is like 40 and you're the first wife yours would be like 40.1 or something they're like they're like letting them give Feel themselves like a, number, a number kinda. yeah mm-hmm. but i've never heard of that before until recently
0: so
1: a oh, uh, way to let the women yeah. feel like they have a number without really having a number? You think it to be a point <laughs> one on somebody else's number? <laughs> <laughs> so
0: if you don't have a number, is there the, is there this feeling around your church, your old church, <laughs> that mm-hmm. that you are not going to receive all the blessings, that you're kind of left out of the elite group?
2: Uh, or are you of, just yeah, trying to get like, to the point where
0: you can get that number? Are yeah,
2: you- it's kind of like if you don't have a number, you can you can't retire. You can't like relax. You you should constantly be going to priesthood classes. You should be constantly serving within the church, doing everything within your power to become righteous enough to. So everyone's get a trying
0: to get a number then. All the guys, yeah. Okay. All
2: the girls, I guess maybe are too, but just through marriage, I suppose. Right.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. kind In- of. It sounds more like the equivalent of priesthood, really. Right. Than, um, but they, they have do priesthood? have
2: the priesthood, yeah, and okay. the priesthood, they make it way harder to get than in the LDS religion. You do have to not only just go through all the, the classes, but you have to get approved to get the priesthood as well. You can't just go through the classes, graduate, get the priesthood. Like the, I'm not sure who approves it, but there's people that go through all the classes that for years try to get the priesthood, and they just don't.
0: See, but, oh, that, wow. that's where it's getting more similar to the FLDS. Uh, the okay. FLDS, that was kind of the same way. I was 18 when I left, and I was still a deacon. Oh, and a deacon yeah. age is normally 12. Mm-hmm. So I received the like position of a deacon, but I guess I was never good enough after that. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and, and, it, and you they, were a good
2: kid, though, so well, that's surprising. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> a little bit of rebellious.
0: <laughs> For the most part, I tried to be, but... But, yeah, it was uh, interesting. It seems like they tried to chalk it all up to revelation. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're ready, God will speak to me. Like, mm-hmm. that's what the leaders kind of made it seem like. Yeah. yeah. So, that. In, m- a,
2: in a similar way, that's why I think it is. You can go to priesthood classes for years and years and not get it. Because they try to make it seem more of like it'll come when it, when it comes, you know, when it's meant to be, when, you're when, ready. when the stars align. You can't just work for it and get it, essentially. And did they, they, they have had had the, the like.
1: multiple steps of priesthood? Did they have deacons, teachers, priests, and then the Melchizedek?
2: yeah kind of but forward. from it's been a long time and for me I've never taken the priesthood classes so in the order anyway okay. and so I don't know exactly how they do it but I do know they acknowledge the differences and they they know about them but from my understanding they don't like have anything super special or different it's like once you get the priesthood you kind of just have all of them you either have the priesthood or you don't oh they, they don't they acknowledge the different levels of it but I don't think they have like, Oh, you get this one, and then you'll get this one, and then you get this one. You just kind of, you know, you you work your way up until you get the priesthood, and then you one have and the done. Priesthood.
0: And did they I, have mean, I guess t- it's I guess it's less work, less. Mm-hmm. Le- well,
2: I think it's the, in their head. It's still the same amount of work. You just have to get through all of them to
0: get. <laughs> but I mean, as far as like ordaining people in different offices, yeah, well, and yeah that, that's true. Less, like less, ceremonies, less yeah, ceremonies, less ceremonies. Just, just when you're ready, I'm then sure. then you're ready, and we'll just give everything one dose. Here you did, go. Did they mm-hmm. have a typical
1: age for that? Like what was there a typical age where okay now I'm I'm old enough to take the classes to be able to start that journey or do you take classes from like being a young boy all the way until they say you're worthy
2: Um technically it starts when you're young but it's just it's only called like Sunday school class when you're little and it's weird even in the Sunday school class with each year that you're in they they would call it like there's a Sunday school class that's called the stripling warriors or something like that and um, that's a certain age group. And I wonder if to them, that's kind of like their deacon category, you know, but they don't call it the same thing. You know, they call it the stripling warriors. And hmm. so they, they almost just have their own twist on a lot of it. They change it in their own way. Because, yeah, I remember graduating, going from different class to class throughout Sunday school. And then they, once they, they only start calling it priesthood classes, though, once you're, I believe, 18 or older. Okay. Once you're okay. in those classes. Which so. would be
1: similar to the Melchizedek. So,
2: mm-hmm. And
1: real quick, I just have to say for those of you who have never been LDS or are familiar with any of these religions at all... Um, Since it feels like the LDS is kind of the middle ground between the two, I will give just a quick introduction to what I'm talking about when I refer to the different levels of priesthood. So, in the mainstream LDS church, when you are a 12-year-old boy, then you become a deacon. And that's when you're able to pass the sacrament in church and you have certain responsibilities. Um, Like you get to go and get fast offerings and they have certain responsibilities. And then when they turn 14, they become a teacher. And then they have different responsibilities. Every single step is like, kind of like what Esco was saying, like a different step in gaining a little bit more responsibility with the end goal. So you have deacons at 12, teachers at 14, priests at 16. That's when they get to um, bless uh, bless the sacrament. And then you get the Melchizedek priesthood. For most men, it's before they serve a mission, then they become an elder in the church. So that's a little bit different than other religions where elders mean like older <laughs> necessarily, but um, the term elder goes with holding the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the highest priesthood. Now it sounds like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that your group was just going straight to Melchizedek priesthood and giving you these baby steps without necessarily saying, this is being a deacon, now you're a teacher, now you're a priest, they're just giving you all the way up to Melchizedek. As an adult, is that right?
2: Kinda. And I almost <clears throat> wonder if not even Melchizedek, because like I guess I'm not the perfect representative to know about this stuff, but if I were to compa- make the comparisons, I would say you you don't even have any priesthood at all until you get to the classes and you graduate from the classes then you almost get the Aaronic priesthood. And I feel like you don't even get the Melchizedek priesthood in the order unless you get a number. That's kind of how it seems. kind of. And Aaronic is the
1: deacons, teachers, priests. Those are all considered under the realm of Aaronic. Mm -hmm. I might need to do like a little graph or something. But (laughs) yeah, so those first three steps in the LDS church are all the Aaronic priesthood. And then becoming an elder is the Melchizedek priesthood. Mm -hmm. So gaining a number would be considered getting the Melchizedek priesthood.
2: I think so, yeah, because it's kind of yeah. like they do have some people... Because they don't allow anyone to do baptism unless they have the priesthood, right? You, uh, at least in the order. they Then you have to have the priesthood. So you have to have gone through all those classes, gotten the priesthood. And, but then anything like beyond baptisms then it's always done by numbered men. Numbered men are the ones special enough to do, like, the marriages and just, like, you know, any other ordinances. So I almost feel like that's why I would compare it that way because of the difference of Hmm. the Aaronic and the Melchizedek Priesthood within, like, the LDS Church is those different ceremonies, you know, the different ordinances.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Once again, it seems like the LDS Church has everything laid out a little bit more structured than FLDS and the mm-hmm. Kingston Group. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> it's just kind of a, like you said, it seems like that the Kingston Group and the FLDS kind of changed things and made things up along the mm-hmm.
2: way. I feel like they want a little bit of mystery because they I feel like they don't fully know what they're doing, you know. And so <laughs> if they keep a little bit of mystery to it, then people can't connect the dots and be like, oh, you did something wrong or whatever, you know, they can be like, yeah. no. That's okay.
0: (laughs) That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) So uh, really quick, and then we can move on from this. But uh, are there 100 men? Are there 100 numbered men?
2: There's more. But it's tough, though, because once you get a number, you keep it forever. Until, okay. Even after your death. Oh, I thought so. you said
0: there was a number. I thought like a hundred only.
2: Well, I no, I, I'm pretty sure it's up to 150.
0: Okay. Of
1: so Of people far. that's been assigned so Is there far. a certain number where it has to stop? Like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there's only a certain number. Is it 133,000? I forget the exact number. something thousand?
2: Well, is, if you it's, think, a it's thousand almost range. been a century that the Kingston group has been here. And there's only been 150 numbers assigned. So... There's no way they're going to get that high. I, feel like. oh, I mean, they word. think they will if it did take over the whole world like their plan is, then sure. But, you know, if you look at history, it's probably not going to get that high. So
1: there's that many members. You're saying even though a lot of them may be children, about nine to 10,000 members, and there's still mm-hmm. only 150 numbered men.
2: Yep. And of mm-hmm. all time, even of the dead people, too. So, Whoa. so these numbers are given oh, out. This is very a very rare,
0: big deal to get a number. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, wow. what
1: happens to the men? You said that's the highest degree of glory. What happens to the men who die without getting a number? So, they are they not able to reach the celestial kingdom, or is it only for the highest degree?
2: Well, according to the order doctrine, if they lived plural marriage and did everything right, then technically they can without a number. But it probably just means like they they didn't do as much as they could have done in this life because technically they say you can go to the celestial kingdom as long as you're living righteously, as long as you live the plural marriage and the laws and stuff like that. And there's people that do that. They live all of the laws and the rules that the order sets up, but don't have a number. So Mm. I'd imagine they can. It's just, if you have a number, it's more like guaranteed you'll go to the celestial kingdom without that number. Then it's, you know, it's,
1: lot more They're work risky, constantly. I guess,
2: maybe or something yeah <laughs> still
1: up in the air yeah
2: exactly something like that
0: so interesting
1: wow. yeah. going back real quick to your childhood just a little bit mm-hmm. sorry <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> go no, off on a doctrine that's tangent that's good um but coming back to your childhood um did you I've heard that the Kingston group is a lot more, like, social with the outside world. Like, the FLDS are pretty closed off. Did you have a lot of interaction with the outside world? Did you know that your family was different right away? Or, like, at what age did you realize, I might be raised in something different than mm-hmm. most people?
2: I think compared to the FLDS, then, yeah, we were more involved with the outside world. But it's only because the FLDS is completely off. <laughs> you know? The, the Kingston group still is very their own thing, you know? Uh, they try to keep everything as separate as they can. Where I think it's different is the Kingston group is kind of like, they want the world to accept them really badly because they want to take over the world, you know? And so I think... in, in their,
0: mission Through missionary work? What do you mean by take over the world?
2: Uh, I mean, they don't have missionaries, so I don't know how, but they plan to take over the world, you know?
0: Like, <laughs> that sounds sketchy. It's part, it's part well, of the mission statement,
1: <laughs> but we don't really have a plan to get there. <laughs>
2: exactly. That, that's literally what it is. They, they say, even in the beginning... They technically had a couple of missionaries for the Kingston group because they were just kind of copying the LDS, right? Just doing the same thing. But when they got so—basically couldn't convince anybody, uh. then they stopped. And a lot of the members were like, no, missionary work's a big deal. What are we going to do? And then— conveniently they got a revelation saying uh, we don't want to convince people to join us god will send the people to us that are meant to be and so it just mm. conveniently worked out for them to not have missionaries anymore interesting
0: so. how it's interesting how revelation works that way right mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever whatever's mm-hmm. most convenient for the person receiving the revelation that's what mm-hmm. that's what happens
1: there's probably a little bit of that in every single religion's history yeah. i know for mm-hmm. sure in yeah. our three groups <laughs> exactly
0: okay yeah, okay convenient. so so going back to you growing up just a little bit. So, you, what about schools? Did you were you mixed in with the other people, or did you have your own schools in in this church?
2: Well, they strongly encouraged to go to the Kingston school that they have. When I was growing up, they only had a, an elementary school and a junior high. So then, high school you would just have to you know, like go to an outside school and figure it out. Hmm. Or they would encourage you to do homeschool and stuff like that. And so they would try their best. And now they do have a high school. Who knows how long that'll last for because it's kind of going through a lot of heat right now. But Mm. because they won't let any black people into the school. But Uh. anyways.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So uh,
2: but but they try their best to have their own schools, have their own jobs, workplaces, everything you need so you don't have to. Um, interact with them very much but I almost feel like they they try to teach their members how to dress like the regular people how to like get along in the outside world so that we can't they so that they can you know kind of like bring people on if they need to or like I guess blend in well or something they get along with like, the world I
1: feel like too when there's groups like that they it, it gives this um sense of like we're not that strange, mm-hmm. right? Like if we kind of blend in more, I mean, oh, yeah. they took pride in being different than the rest of the world. That, that mm-hmm. was,
0: the, was what the, te- the I guess, leaders of the church, of the FLDS, would constantly talk about how it was important to be different than everyone else.
1: Yeah, but that's not very helpful mm-hmm. if you're going to take over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you
2: want your group to take everyone, you know, become all of Utah, then it's like they have to, be appealing, I feel like, to a lot of the people, and and it's weird because like polygamy is not going to be appealing at all. So they, I think, they try to be appealing in other ways, maybe or something like that. Okay. I'm not sure. So, were you exactly homeschooled but.
1: in high school, or what was your schooling personally like?
2: Yeah, so I really did want to go to a public school and to have more, like, social interaction. So I got lucky enough that in, it was eighth grade, I went to a public school and made some outside friends. That was when I made my very first um, black friend, actually. And it was weird because I knew that the, the Kingston group was racist and that they didn't like him. But it almost made me want a black friend to kind of, like, figure it out, you know? So I remember yeah. having this black friend in my in my class and I was like... I couldn't stop looking at him. And I was like, I wanted to go and play with him at recess. And I wanted to like get to know him because I was like, why do they think these people are so different, you know? And yeah. meeting him, I was like, we became friends so fast because, oh, you know, good. we were both young. We were both into the same like sports and stuff. And, and I remember it, like I kind of forgot that I was supposed to be racist and I invited him over and my mom was just kind of like super hesitant and like I, 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 it was just a weird situation. And that's when I realized that like something was up and and I did not like it. But I remember knowing that, like, OK, I can't really bring my black friend around my my order member friends and stuff like that. So, so what was what did they
1: tell you? The reasoning was so I'm guessing there are no black people allowed in the religion mm-hmm. or was it any minorities or just blacks?
2: No, anyone like they, they don't have any. They Technically, they have whites and they have um, Indian, but that's it the only like Native, like Native Americans? Native American, yeah. Sorry. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: no, you're fine. Yeah. Um. But, so what did they tell you the reasoning was?
2: You know, just some like pure blood thing. I feel like they don't talk about it too much, which is odd, because I think they realize how rude it sounds maybe or something, but I just remember being told that they're different, they're the fence sitters, all sorts of different stories mm. about them, you know, they're this and that, just, just don't intermingle with them. And I was just like, and I already was at school, so I was like, well, too late for that, I guess. So yeah. I don't know. It was so
0: at your home school, or no, sorry, at the high school you said they have now, mm-hmm. you said that they are not allowing uh, people of color uh, to come and join or anyone that's not, I guess, in the, Well, in the, in the,
2: first of all, 95% of it is just Kingston's. First of all, Um, because they're trying to get public funding and stuff, they do have this enrollment process for for anyone to sign up. And every once in a while, randomly, people do sign their kids up for it and stuff. And what they do is they kind of they still get to filter a little bit. And so far, there's only been white people and there's been like one um, Hispanic. Okay. and that's it so far and that's what a lot of the, the news media is getting on them about saying that it's in West Valley West Valley is known for tons of like different Diversity. ethnicities yeah mm-hmm. and they only have white people in the school like what's going on <laughs> so yeah. they're seeing issues with it for sure yeah
0: I mean I can see definitely that it could be a problem I'm just mm-hmm. surprised Based on coming from the FLDS, I'm surprised they're allowing anyone to join their school. I'm Mm -hmm. surprised they're trying
1: to get public funding. Like, it sounds like they have plenty of money. So, (laughs) that is the
2: odd thing. But it's millions of dollars, though, that they're getting from the state. And they use that throughout the whole um, Mm. church, basically. Mm. And it even goes like, I don't know how much of this I should say because I've learned about this recently, but like they get public funding for food, right? Yeah. They used that public funding to start a uh, a bakery basically within in the group within the church, and then they use that to feed a lot of the members. Like most of the food doesn't even go towards the school stuff that which the that public funding to is for. Exactly, yeah, uh-huh, oh. and they so they basically just abuse everything that they get towards them, and it's just. I think that's the only reason why they're asking for public funding just to get more money. It's all about profit. They're
1: going to go down for that kind of stuff, It'll bite
0: bite them in the butt eventually, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be... The uh, law law uh, will catch up. We've seen Mm -hmm. that happen in the FLDS. And if you're not... I mean, uh, just kind of... Super. I'm not kind of, it's very frustrating to see churches take advantage Mm -hmm. and and break the law and do all these things all the time. It seems like it happens a lot.
2: And it's almost like a quote there, because I remember constantly growing up, it was a joke to be like, well, if we followed the law, then we wouldn't be here. So it's kind of like we're above the law, you know. And a lot of them have that mindset, and I think that's really going to screw them over in the future. So, Do
1: you think the main thing that they're talking about when they're saying like, we want to be here. Is the polygamy, or well, do you yeah, think it's Cause
2: polygamy is illegal? And they like ninety percent of them are from a second, third, or fourth wife. You know, mm-hmm. and so they wouldn't be there. Yeah, if it wasn't for polygamy. Because
1: I feel so. like I feel like the um, the clinging to the polygamous lifestyle, and that being illegal for so long and all the different splinter groups that have ha- happened from the LDS over polygamy, I feel like that always gives like the first initial like sense of being above the law because right. that's been happening for so long mm-hmm. that they've been persecuted for that that now it's like, well, if I have this huge thing that is so doctrinal, then it doesn't matter well, if we cut these other corners. And it, and, mm-hmm. it has,
0: and it started back in Joseph Smith's day, like way back when. It's, that's why now churches try to justify it by saying, well, hey— like the FLDS, for example, that's exactly what Joseph was dealing with, persecution. He had to he had to be above the law because it was God's law. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that's, that's used. Uh, people will just blame it. Oh, well, it's been happening for hundreds of years, so we're okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And not only that, as growing up, I felt like the way they would describe even the government a lot was basically this big old evil man or whatever, you know, this evil group. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the government isn't their friend. They would talk really yeah. bad about it and just... So the laws are made by the government, a group that they don't really even like. So they, I guess, don't pay attention to it or something. But
0: huh? Yeah, so well,
1: interesting. So going, yeah, so when that happens a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you started going to high school, so you went to two years, right? So what you said. Well, and it was or did you it wasn't to finish straight? High so
2: I went for eighth grade. Uh, oh, sorry, sixth grade and then eighth grade, and then that was it. So two years of public school okay. was all that I really got, and I made. Lots of friends. And it it was so good for me. I don't like telling people online that it was the best and it it taught me a lot about the outside world and helped me to leave. Because then I know order members are going to be like, okay, my kids are not (laughs) going to public school. But I'm like, oh, it, it was so good for me. And it just helped me to see what it was like and to understand how basically weird. The order was doing things oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Well, so was so. that the
1: first time, I mean, so sixth and eighth grade, that's still pretty young, right? You're mm-hmm. yeah. how old, like 11 and 13-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. You're preteen, teen, right? Is mm-hmm. that the first time that you realized that like your community was different and that your family was different and that something was up? Did it feel pretty normal up to that point, the way that you were living?
2: Oh, yeah. And in fact, even in sixth grade, I didn't didn't fully register with me because I remember wanting to tell my outside friends I have three moms like it's no big deal. But first of all, they didn't understand that when I did tell them. And if my mom ever heard me saying that, she'd be like, "Whoa, don't don't go telling people that. Keep it hush hush. Stuff like that, but like I was only like eleven, and I was like, "What? It's fine." I mean, I have three moms. I, I feel like that's okay to tell people about that. And I would even want to take it further. And like sometimes my friends would be like, "Oh yeah, we're Mormon." And I'd be like, "Oh, we're true Mormons <laughs> and stuff like that." So it's like we're like the same, but I'm just a little bit better than you.
0: Exactly. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. I
1: know. it's like, both of you guys are better well, than we were. Well, actually,
0: it seems like you. Uh, You guys were more okay with the Mormon Church, like the main FLDS mainstream church.
2: I think so. Like, I I, I did hear my dad be like, "Oh, that's the Church of the Devil," Uh, but but he would reference it sometimes and be like, "Yeah, we're just the more true Mormons, you know? Like, like we're not that different, but like we're we're going the right way; they're going the wrong way, kind of."
0: Interesting. Okay, but because coming from the FLDS, it was very much they are the. Wicked, great. great and abominable <laughs> church—the uh, mm. church created by the dev- by the devil—and there they uh, have left the true path that we're supposed to be on. And okay. so, so they mm. there was That's a, a lot similar. of negativity mm. towards that, and a lot more. This is the true church now, and so mm. it sounds like it was okay. kind of similar. And- it-
2: yeah, mm. very similar. And I feel like the the Kingston group considers every other religion kind of like the church of the devil because if you're not the right one, then you're the wrong one. Well, the Book of Mormon <laughs>
1: says that, mm-hmm. that there's the one and true church and that mm-hmm. all the others are founded by the devil. So I can mm-hmm. see that. It makes either of you feel better. You guys may have thought that my religion was the devil, but we thought you guys were just like, like, sad, wandering souls, and that the Great and Abominable Church was the Catholics. So we didn't blame yeah. that on either of you.
0: Every church is, is is blaming the church that's a little bit bigger than their yeah. church as the Great and Abominable Whoever's,
1: Church. Yeah, whoever has that bit, bit more of an engine, uh, more money and more members. They must be the Great and ones. Abominable
0: because they have more members, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. okay,
1: who do the Catholics get to blame? I don't
0: know. Well, the I, don't Ca- know. I think they're
1: the top dogs. But, well, the
0: Catholics don't have the teaching of the Great and Abominable Church, so...
1: Uh, I, guess, you, oh, I guess I okay. guess I guess it stops there. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, off track, yeah. off track. Yeah, off track. Um, so you're going to so you're just recognizing that, and then when um at what point did so you were homeschooled for high school?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. for um ten, eleven, and twelfth grade. For eleventh or for ninth grade, um. In Utah, they do it differently. Ninth grade is technically high school, and but you're still
1: at the middle school for ninth, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh huh. So, yeah, and then for all of the high school years, I did do homeschool, and I did it all in one year, cause Dang. the order is all about like get school done with, and then work and stuff. Mm. And so I did all of those high school years in one year, and I didn't learn a thing. I just, you know, <laughs> I did the homeschool stuff, just filled out all the stuff, took all the tests. Basically just got my GED or whatever. I did get my diploma, yeah. And then the sad thing is, I should have went straight into college. But I was so focused on, you know, making money and, like, my dad being proud of me. Saving and putting money towards the family. So I just worked for two years straight. Just working. And that was it. And I was like, man. Felt really mundane. And I was getting paid, like, $7 an hour. Like, nothing. It was just Mm. really, Mm. really a bummer. What kind of
1: work did um, the people in the Kingston group do?
2: So they try to, like... Be entrepreneurs and, and branch off to all sorts of things. They have grocery stores. I, I waxed the grocery stores' uh, floors for a long time. I worked at the Western shop that they have there, selling cowboy boots and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, and then I also did. Oh, and one of my half brothers started his own company, and I got to work for him for a little while, and that was pretty cool. Just kind of jumping from job to job because. I don't really, didn't know what I was doing. Really. Was so.
1: it was it pretty typical to work only for companies owned by Kingston group members?
2: Yeah, in fact, there was a couple of times because I thought it would just be so cool to be like a car salesman or just to, you know, try one of the cool jobs that it looks like out there from the outside perspective looks awesome. And I mentioned that to my dad and he was like, well, maybe one day when the order gets a car dealership or something like, like to him, it wasn't even a question. You don't, you don't ask to work for an outside job. You just wait till the order has what you want and then you work there and stuff. So it's like,
3: yeah. So not as
0: much construction then?
2: Not that I know of. I know now they're getting more into it. They have like a cement company, a um, roofing company and stuff like that. But like, it's just Whatever comes up, I guess so
0: interesting. Yeah, I mean the FLDS was very much into construction to be number one self-sufficient mm-hmm. number two to not have to necessarily I mean they would leave the community to work, you know to go to their jobs and stuff but they wouldn't have to mingle with the outsiders as much Oh, it's their own business, kind of, their own business, company. and they're just going and building a house or doing that mm. something, and they're not having to actually go work in a grocery store, for example, and mingle mm. with other employees that aren't from the actual mm. church. Well, that's
2: where the order did it differently, because if they wanted to work in a grocery store, they'd buy the grocery store and have it be theirs, and only order members would be working there and stuff like that.
1: Would outsiders mm. be allowed to shop there, though?
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, because of... I think laws and regulations they had to have yeah, it open could. to the public. But it was pretty rare. Like it's a small little grocery store and it's like not nice at all. It's not like Walmart where they like keep it up and uh, maintained and and like Walmart's not that nice to the regular mm. people, but like to us it's way nice because we're used to just having like small crappy things and like saving money, you know. Don't waste your money if you can save it and if it, the it's practical and it works, you know. So, so
0: with... Would- let, I'm just curious how well you blend it in. In, in as the Kingston group, how well you blend it into the normal outside person like mm-hmm. if I wa- or if anyone walked <laughs> into your a Franchy store <laughs> owned by the Kingstons, would would they be, would they instantly be able to tell? Okay, something's different here. Or did no, you... I
2: think it takes a little bit more time, but not much though. A lot of people that know John's marketplace, the grocery store, they like if they've been there, they know that it's a little bit off and odd, but it's not like super noticeable. You okay. wouldn't know right, right away, and you would most likely think that it's like. Oh, maybe it's got a bad manager, or like you know, just a weird um, marketing team, or something. Yeah, just a weird <laughs> like, vibe, more uh-huh. than
1: like thinking a religion's running it. Yeah, you would huh. you
2: would instantly think, oh, this is run by a cult. <laughs> but,
0: but but everyone dresses the same as normal. Like no one, you don't have a special kind of uh, dress code.
2: Nope. I mean, in the schools they do, but not not within just your day to day
0: activities huh. at all. So
1: was that the same for the girls as well?
0: For
2: in the school for the uniforms? I know, yeah. just
1: like in general, Did the, the, girls the, have a the clothing
0: specific? they wore.
2: No, they could just kind of wear whatever. They were always told to like dress modestly and stuff like that. But as far as I understand, in the beginning, when the Kingston group first started, it was they tried a simplicity uniform and they were known as blue coats because they always just wore blue jeans and like a a t-shirt or whatever, Uh, like blue overalls, I think it was. And in the beginning, they tried that and then it quickly died off and people just started wearing their own Hmm. things.
0: So what about, if this is too sensitive, you don't have to answer it, but what Mm -hmm. about any underwear, undergarments, anything different than normal or was it just normal?
2: I wasn't in long enough to fully know about that kind of stuff because I know they have, um, they teach about the garment, but from my understanding, they only put it on the numbered men when they die for some reason. Okay. So they buried them in special garments. But other than that, there's nothing. So
0: if there is something, it's nothing that's talked about. Exactly. At least yeah. with the general mm-hmm. church. Okay.
1: Yep. And then, sorry, one more doctrinal thing before <laughs> we go back to yours, just because I'm so intrigued. But obviously where um, you know both groups splinter off from the mainstream LDS, and you're kind of talking about how the numbered men, that's what gets you to heaven. Well, in the mainstream LDS church, it's all about going to the temple and receiving your covenants in the temple and making those covenants. Mm -hmm. So did you guys have temples? That's a really good one. I I think I might know that you probably didn't, but... Mm -hmm. How did they kind of reconcile that with everyone in the fact that, like, in early church history, it was very important to Joseph Mm -hmm. Smith? And, like, what did they tell you about that?
2: This is where you get into a lot of inconsistencies in the Kingston group because I literally, I remember going with my dad and walking on Temple Square, right, in Salt Lake City, seeing the big LDS temple and, like, wow, this was basically like in my head, this was built by Joseph Smith, one of our prophets. Like this is so cool. And then I would ask questions about it and be like, wait, it's it's not ours though? And my dad would be like, well, it kinda sorta is our temple. And it's like it's like it's ours spiritually and like we'll probably own it one day, you know, once we take over the world and stuff. But right now it's not fully (laughs) are and that's kind of like how he would explain it and it's like because they have to acknowledge temples and their importance and the significance but they don't have any that are physically theirs but i mean they kind of teach that the temples are supposed to be the orders and the lds people kind of stole it from them or something i don't know that's
1: so so. intriguing so
0: okay (laughs) so obviously they believe in joseph smith Mm -hmm. brigham young
2: yeah Pretty much. Where,
1: where, did off, where did the break? Where did the breakoff happen? Like at which in prophet?
2: doctrine? It's uh, Wilford Wordruff, You know, okay. once, oh, okay. once that uh, manifesto came out, <coughs> but they never teach about Brigham Young. They they basically teach about um, Joseph Smith and then um, Brother Ortel, and it just kind of skips all those other people. So but, Brother
0: Ortel was he the first prophet of the Kingston yeah. group? Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah. and was he? Um, like how long ago was this? Did he know Wilfred Woodruff? Was it was it at that time when the Kingston Church started? Yeah,
2: 1935. Okay, so pretty close, I think, right? Okay,
0: so so he so so the first leader of the Kingston group was probably some type of leader in the mainstream LDS Church before they split off. I would assume.
2: Yeah, like he was um, very well known, and he was an LDS member. They The the history story talks about him wanting to turn in all of his stuff, right? Wanting to live consecration and live polygamy. And the mainstream LDS church said, no, we're not going to do that anymore, but you should still be a member, you know? Like, yeah. like as long as you don't teach it, you can technically kind of live it on the side if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I want to live it openly and, like, just teach my stuff. And in the history, it said that the LDS Church said, okay, like, we don't want to just excommunicate you right away. Like, we'll give you time. And then something along the lines of uh, Ortel being like, no, like, make your decision right now. Like, am I going to be able to live this loud and proud or no? And they essentially said no. So, they ex- so he asked to be excommunicated or something. Even though the LDS Church technically didn't really want to. They still liked him. Like, sounded like he was a great member and stuff. But he was just refusing to be quiet about it, which is cool. I think that's awesome. Like he wanted to live true to his teachings and stuff, which I don't feel like the Kingston group is doing that anymore. I -hmm. think they're very hush-hush and they, they try to keep it all secret. They don't live it loud and proud. And I think Ortel was all about that in the beginning.
1: Sounds a lot like Sam's grandfather. It's kind of mm-hmm. the same way. And he went to yep. prison for practicing polygamy. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. said, we don't want you here. We'll release you if you just say you're not going to practice it. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, <laughs> I'm going to practice polygamy. It is God's mm-hmm. law. Yeah. And they had to keep him a little longer. And eventually they let him out of prison because they were like, we just don't want to have to deal with you anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not a bad man. Yeah. We don't need you here. We just... Have to try to enforce yeah, this. I think
0: that yep. in, in today's world, anyone that's doing anything that's illegal is kind of being forced to be a little more hush hush about it because of social media and, and, and everything out there these days. That it's so easy to spread the word that if you're doing something illegal, you'll probably get shut down. And so mm. that's probably why a lot of like the FLDS, the Kingston Group, are going a little bit more towards like. Um, secrecy and a little bit more hush-hush about a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff they're doing.
2: Which is a little bit odd, though, because Utah is getting more and more lenient on the whole polygamy thing. Like like that last law that passed about it, and it's just like... It's not a
1: felony anymore, right? Yeah,
2: it's like just a misdemeanor or something, and, hmm. and it's like, I think, well, I'm torn because I don't like the idea of polygamy. I would love for it to just stop and everything, but I'm also like... I grew up in it. I don't think it's like the most horrible thing. Uh, To me, I think it's the secondary crimes that are even worse than polygamy itself. And I can't help but feel like if the government did kind of regulate polygamy a little bit more, then at least all the dads would pay their child support, you know, at least be able to claim their kids and and do at least more of the proper legal things worth all of that. But I also don't want to be a supporter of polygamy in any way, right. you know. So it's just, it's, yeah. it's a
0: tough. <laughs> you and I, you and I are in the same boat here because it's mm-hmm. it's tough because we were raised that way, mm-hmm. and so we didn't feel like it was causing a lot of problems, or mm-hmm. you know, we felt like it was fine and normal. Yep. So looking back, I'm with you. I'm like, no, polygamy isn't shouldn't really be, you know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's the best thing for people, but it didn't seem like it was that bad growing up in it. Mm-hmm. But you're right, a lot of the stuff that comes along with polygamy is not just the, it's, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not just polygamy alone. It's everything else that comes along with it that causes all of these big problems. Exactly. Not only that, I think
1: one of the hardest things for me with polygamy is obviously the secondary stuff, but it's also very hard in almost any polygamous group to distinguish who actually is giving full consent
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, with full amount of information, too. So it's like, if women are practicing polygamy, like there's now, I think a lot of the the laws are getting looser because there's so many people who are practicing polygamy or polyandry and they don't try to get married, right? But like, so which one's more respectful? A guy saying, okay, I'm taking on three wives and I'm going to take care of my family or a guy who has one wife and also has three mistresses on the side, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. I would respect the man who has three wives and is taking accountability for having that family. Mm-hmm. However, it comes down to me for like the consent in it. It's like whether or not those women, they may say they're consenting, but if they've been taught their entire lives that that's the only way, like how much of it is coercion and how much of it is consent. And when mm-hmm. you grow up in those atmospheres, yeah. it's very hard to step back and say whether or not someone actually wants to be in that or if they've been, I hate using the term brainwashed, but like if they've been brainwashed into that consent.
0: To feel like it's it's what's best. To feel like it's Mm -hmm. what's best for
1: their eternal salvation. Well, that's a pretty heavy load and burden to put on whether or not they're actually consenting. Mm -hmm. But no person can say, well, you're not actually consenting. You know (laughs) what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's such a tricky, tricky topic. I love
2: the idea of the age regulation. Even so many order members I talked to, I was like, what could possibly help? And they even agree that making sure that no polygamous marriages happen under the age of 18. But the Kingston Group still does that. And I'm like, your own members know that it would be so much safer, so much more reassuring that it's not being forced or anything like that if they would just wait. And it's like, these people can't just wait a year or two before if it's supposed to be an eternal forever marriage... Why are they pressuring and pushing it to be so right now? It well, shows something's up. You, you yeah, exactly. It
1: shows
0: I, that I, th- I, think, up. I think we know the answer to that question, though, mm. why, they're, why they're pushing it at such a young well, age. Well, we
2: do, but the Kingston members, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what
2: okay, I'm trying okay. to reference. <laughs>
0: yeah. If, if you let someone get older to the point where they're starting to make their own decisions, they're very likely to either move out or say, no, actually, I don't want to marry this person. So once they get older and start having their own opinions, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot... A lot of the a lot of the time that is the reason why they are kind of forcing it a little bit younger so that they're not at that age where they can make their own decisions well, or, legally, or disagree
1: and legally be able to leave too because people exactly. don't think about the fact especially i mean it's already hard enough for a woman especially if they haven't been able to get outside jobs and things like that it's already hard mm-hmm. enough for a woman to leave a situation and to leave her family and her home Oh yeah. But then you add on top of that, if they're under eighteen, it's like nearly impossible for them to be able to get away legally. And if they do, the not having any assurance as to what their life is going to look like, or how they're going to receive help, or do any of those things, yeah, yeah it definitely very
0: very is difficult, very difficult. difficult. And Wait
2: just it. so they know, though, it's not impossible. I know many people that have done it, but it's true. It's so much harder and. The order members know that. And I feel like that's what the good doing. thing,
0: and this is kind of what I say to all of the, our viewers and possibly some from the FLDS church that are watching, is at least now you know that you can come to us. Like there's 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 so many people that have left now. There's always somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. There's always yes. someone, someone to turn to and say, hey, how did you do it? How did you figure it out? And then we can help them get on their feet, mm-hmm. right? So it's there's always that hope that uh, you're not going to be completely on your own. And that's a yeah. huge
1: reason why we continue to do this. You know, we started off just wanting to share some of Sam's stories for like our posterity, yeah. but we've continued to do it really just more as a platform to let people know that there is help. And obviously, mm-hmm. you doing that, people will know. Like with your channel, yeah. Escal Grant E S K E L. Look him up yeah. if you are from the Kingston group. But i you know, what I mean, like, there's so many resources. Mm-hmm. And I feel like both, I don't know how it is in the Kingston group, but I'm guessing it's probably similar in both groups. That part of it, part of the fear and the scariness of leaving is not realizing how many resources, not even just in people, but like there's government resources, there's holding out help, Mm -hmm. there's these other organizations that can help you get an education, get a job, get on your feet. There's so many resources out there that a lot of times nobody knows when they're in it. They don't know what kind of help there really is for them right. when they leave mm-hmm.
0: yep and it's scary i understand that it's, it's not yeah. it's not easy to leave behind everything you've been taught everything you know and just changing your life it's it's not yeah, an easy that's thing
2: that's the harder part because a lot of people like you can leave and even if you have no money like if you believe in what you're doing you'll find a way to make it work mm-hmm. but so many people here have been raised their entire childhood their whole life and that's the hardest thing to convince themselves that this is really what they should do or that what they're in isn't right because it's so mm-hmm. much easier to be like I was lucky enough to be born in God's kingdom you know like that's what we're it's told it's awesome that's yeah. what
0: I was told too <laughs> Interesting. that lucky ones. interesting mm-hmm. there are so many different religious groups that all feel the same way yeah <laughs> Uh, the, the entire world is so lucky. <laughs> That's what it feels like. So, um, all right. So, very interesting. Back, so schooling, look, you did two years. Uh, did you want more schooling or did, were you okay going out and starting to work at this point?
2: Well, to be honest, like for me personally, I was so focused on the money. I was like, I'm just going to work as much as I can. I want to mm-hmm. ha- make so much money so that like my dad's proud of me so that I can start a family. I can have everything that I need. Then when I realized $7 an hour is not going to do that, (laughs) that's when I was like, shoot, what am I doing wrong? Like, I got to figure something out. And that's when I started looking into going to college and stuff like that.
0: Okay, so So you started looking into going to college while you were still in the Kingston group?
2: Yeah, actually. I did my very first semester right before I left.
0: Oh, so they were okay with that? They encouraged or at least would allow college? Yeah,
2: it's a lot easier. Yeah, I was just like, telling him that i want to do like i even told my dad i was like dad i want to be like you i want to go to the u i want to graduate mm-hmm. okay and stuff like that and so way to yeah, pull on yeah.
0: his heartstrings <laughs> i want to be just like you dad <laughs> um
2: but it worked.
1: at what um were you guys allowed to date and were marriages arranged because as you said like i mm-hmm. want to be able to have a family obviously mm-hmm. that's very important and all yeah well you bring so up the like, family what yeah. did that look like did you did you get to date
2: um, no, but I'm really glad we <laughs> talked about the priesthood thing, though, because it's kind of like that. It's like there's really? a little bit of mystery to it, and it's more of like, oh, when God allows it, it's going to happen. You know? So it's arranged really... marriages?
1: Does the prophet decide?
2: Well, the prophet has to approve of it, and it's like... I would consider them arranged marriages. Like, if you look at it from an outside perspective, yes, they're very arranged, but they get away with saying, oh, it's not arranged, because technically, I could have gone forward on anyone, but they would just say, no, 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 and tell us the one I want. <laughs> but, oh, so okay. to me, it's very arranged, but they... They have a process that makes it look like you have a say. And it's kind of like how my sister Amanda talks about this all the time. They won't just say, you have to marry this person. But they'll put like two people in front of you and be like, you get the choice. You get your free agency, but choose one of these two, you know, or They're something
3: like, like but- that. <laughs> agency.
0: But if I were you, I would choose him. Exactly. Yes, they even take it farther.
2: And, and yeah, they put something in your head to make you decide.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've, definitely,
1: I've definitely seen that even in the LDS. like, yay for agency. You get the choice, but it needs to be the right choice. Mm. Because if it's not the right choice, then none of it is worth it. Yeah. And you're like, well, I appreciate the choice, but is there yeah, any
0: choice? It's a tr- a free agency is a tricky word, but <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that's for another video. Yeah,
1: whole other video. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I just wanted to back up just a little bit. You said, I'm glad we talked about the priesthood. For all of you that don't know what priesthood is, basically the simple terms is it is power of God given to man on earth. That's, that's really mm-hmm. what it is. And uh, the men that receive it in these churches, in the LDS Church, the FLDS Church, the Kingston Group, and lots more that are break-offs from the LDS Church, all have this thing they call priesthood. And it's them mm-hmm. claiming to have the power of God on earth here to do His work and be able to perform miracles and that type of thing. Marriages, mm-hmm. baptisms, all of that. So that's, that's, in a nutshell, we could go into a lot more of that. In a nutshell, it's what priesthood is. Was that yeah. kind of what it was like in the Kingston group as well? Mm-hmm, exactly.
2: Okay. And that's why I relate it to the marriages a little bit, because it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter, like, really what's going on. Like, if the prophet wants you to marry someone or wants you to have the priesthood, you're going to have it. Like, it's just mm-hmm. that yeah. he's the deciding factor. Did you have so. to
1: have the priesthood? Okay, so you had to have the priesthood to gain a number.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Did you have to have the priesthood to get married? So you No. No, mm-hmm.
2: okay. People.
0: Oh. Okay, so you could get married, but you couldn't perform marriages. Yeah, you can't perform them. Yeah, you can't you perform
2: like, and like. that's the weird thing is like the order kind of believes in a lot of the ordinances and like things that you use the priesthood for, but they rarely do them. You know, there's marriages and baptisms, but those were the main ones. In fact, it wasn't until a year after I left that they even had the sacrament prayer for the first time. So oh, wow. uh, it's like they, they are implementing more and more. And I think as they study the scriptures and realize, oh, God's kingdom. Oh, we missed that to one. This, Me- <laughs> yeah. And they add it. And
1: stuff Highlight. Like that, get that in the next meeting. <laughs>
0: and, prayers to well, continue.
2: They only do it once a year, too. So oh, really? Like, mm-hmm, yeah. They do it wow. around Easter or something like that. So. Do they um, do
1: they teach from all four scriptures that are the canon LDS scriptures, like mm-hmm. the Bible book? In form, fact, they even purchase them from
2: LDS stores and
1: stuff oh, like okay. that. Oh, okay, from so. desert books? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, yep. so as you guys are like
1: learning and reading about those things, did anyone ever ask the question, like, why don't we do this? Like, why don't we do the sacrament? Why don't we... Like, were those questions asked often, or did you just know you couldn't really ask them?
2: No, I think they were asked, but they kind of always had a go-to answer for Mm. things like that, and so... They had been um, asked
0: these questions probably a hundred times before, so they have their go-to answers, Mm -hmm, yep. Yep, Yep.
2: they definitely had things they would say and, like, counter questions to put on you and my my least favorite was when i'd ask a question and they'd answer it with the question that would just like confuse me and stuff but
0: so the religious you know. leaders and politicians huh? yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh
2: yeah but like in an organization like that it's like it seems so much like there is a ladder for power and so many people it i don't i don't want to call it like politicians because it is different and like i'm not into politics i don't know how everything works but i could not help but feel like even they're, they're their own brothers you know and they're all trying to like get something out of each other like i couldn't help but feel like my dad was just a pawn in either his brother's hand or like some of the other leaders hands and stuff like that and to me that like felt so weird you know my dad just does anything that these God like people do, I guess, you know. Yeah. Is your father We're...
1: one of the five men? Or no. is he a brother of one he's of the He's the men?
2: brother of one of the five men. Oh, he, well, okay. he's the brother, the half brother of the prophet himself.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, well, you're mm-hmm. all
0: pretty closely related out there, right? Yep. Because mm-hmm. they, they believe in keeping it like. Uh... Yeah,
2: the sacred blood. In fact, they even believe that I think it's all of them have a line that can be traced back to Jesus Christ himself. So they think they've got Christ's blood. In
0: them. They may have added a few people along the way just to make the connections, <laughs> yeah. but but they, well, have yes it all on, they have it all on paper right now. I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> no. So how old were you the first time you had a question or a doubt about how you were being raised?
2: Um... I think in my mind, probably when I was about 12 or 13, because I remember before then, my dad was a god. Like, he could do no wrong. Like, I would want to do anything I could to spend time with him. I wanted him to love me so bad, you know? And he's rarely home. He's got so many other kids. So it felt like competition. I I had to compete with all my siblings. And then, though, I do remember there was a time when one of my siblings had gotten beat by him. And ever since then, I was like, wow, okay, this guy... he's (laughs) He's me. <laughs> like my my whole thought process of him changed, and I was like, okay, so if he's not the godlike person that I thought he was, then maybe my own belief system is wrong, or like maybe I don't fully understand this world I'm in as much as I as I thought I did. Mm. But I never said anything because I was always like, you know, our mom would talk about our dad like so great, and like in church meetings, they'd always say the father is the the you should respect him, he's the greatest, and all this stuff. But then that made me question their teachings even more because I was like, "But I want a different dad or something, you know? I want, I want a change." And they would keep teaching that it, that that doesn't happen. Like you just need to love your father, honor your father and your mother. And so that really started having me question without telling anyone that I was questioning. And then once I became about sixteen or seventeen, is when I finally started questioning and talking because my sisters would talk to me about their questioning of the church and that's when i finally realized like wow we can we can question things like we can actually voice our opinions which we we weren't supposed to but at least within my close friend groups then i could trust them enough yeah. to share yeah
0: so did, and, oh go ahead. No, 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 you're fine. I was just going to say and, and it makes it so much easier when someone else starts to question to you like, oh, mm-hmm. we I'm not can, the only one. I'm not the only yeah. one. Let's talk about this, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that was a huge relief to me because I thought I was just going to take it to my grave and just never talk about it, never question things, just always do what I was told because that's just how I was raised. And then when I finally had the opportunity to share it with others, I was like, wow, this feels right. You know, like I need to get this out of my chest and stuff like that so wow
0: yeah.
1: so did amanda leave a long time before you or
2: pretty not super long but about two years three years before me around there so. okay okay
0: so she had been out for a little bit and i assume you were probably talking with her about her experience after leaving well, and all of not
2: that. at first oh my god i was scared of amanda at first because when she first <laughs> left then instantly she went from like my loving sister i loved her to death she was awesome super nice to me to Wow, she's an evil person. Because she's she was like fighting again. She's doing all these bad things. She's probably like high on drugs all the time. Mm. Like just being told the worst stories. That's what people were. People, your
0: parents and people from the church were telling you that's what mm-hmm, she was doing, exactly. right? You didn't actually I, know that for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I yeah.
2: believed it so quick. And I don't mm. know why. I look back and it's like I was so dumb to know her personally, live with her, see her every day, know her kind heart and who she was, and then think, oh, wow, just because she left the church. She's this horrible person. She's on the street. She's got no money. And I even, there was one night I, I finally just wanted to know. So I snuck out of the house and went and met up with her. And I was like, just told her. I was like, are you really homeless? Are you are you like on the streets? Are you doing drugs? And she was like, what? No. I was like, no way, really? <laughs> 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 so that really well, opened
0: my Well, of mind. course the leaders want to scare you from leaving Mm -hmm. and uh it's very sad they would come that they would completely fabricate such horrible lies about someone Mm -hmm. but a lot of these really cult-like religions will do that to scare people into believing what they want them to believe Mm
3: -hmm. yeah i
1: would say the lds is definitely the most moderate out of these three groups for sure you know (laughs) by a long shot definitely the most moderate and i'd say rather than like such like uh direct fear tactics as like making up stories or something. It was always more of, like, an emotional, like, they'll just never get to be as happy.
3: Yeah. You know? And those, I
1: feel like it was almost like a more, like, a saddened thing when someone would leave the church. Everybody just felt so sorrowful. And I know when we made the choice to leave, like, I would rather have someone be mad at me than have someone be disappointed in Mm -hmm. me. And I feel like instead of having people mad at me or make up lies or anything like that, it was always just the sense of the disappointment that they had because, you know they just assume that you can always be so much happier in the church. Right. And so it was never a like a direct like attack type thing, but mm-hmm. definitely like a more emotional heartache like knowing that you're letting everybody down and that mm-hmm. they all think that you could be happier if you were within it. So it's yeah. interesting to hear like your guys' was so direct, and I'm like, oh, yeah. more well, ours emotional. was
2: also so direct because they got away with it for so long and they were doing it with kids. If you think about it, like they are the dumb ones telling us these sob stories or these lies, straight up lies, because they have done it so many times to kids that are just like, oh, okay, and believe them. So I feel like they get more, you know um they tell more lies so they get like more like into it i guess like they'll just say whatever they want that's convenient for them because they're just convincing this little 13 year old kid you know it's like supposed to be super easy but i don't know why i don't know it's just interesting the way they do it but yeah
0: yeah. so so at what age were you so you were how old when amanda left
2: i think i was. 15 14 or 15 okay whatever. so you were
0: still fairly young young mm-hmm. teenager and at this point so you met up with her and you realized okay these are actually lies and you at that point what you thought okay maybe i want to leave eventually or what were oh you- yeah
2: ever since then i started questioning things i still wouldn't voice my opinion very much because i it's like i didn't want them to give any order members a reason to like talk to me or convince me you know because they already mm-hmm. thought i was just a good follower no one was going to come to me and be like oh the order's so great you need to stay you know and i didn't want to give them a reason to do that to me so you Better just played just along to myself
0: yeah okay mm-hmm. yep. played along yeah. for a while
1: and then what was the final straw for you what well did your exit look like
2: i think it was just the fact that like from 16 to 18 right i was just growing up living my life and i was like i can make this work for me i don't care if i have to you know but put on a face when I go to church, be a little bit not who I truly am. But like, I, I'm okay with that. I can make that work if it was just me involved. But when I would see my younger siblings or really close friends, like especially with my really close friends getting married so young, I had a friend that I grew up by my whole life going through all the grade schools worth. And he got married at 16 and was already having a baby, like super young. Wow. I remember looking at that and being like, what in the world? Like that? like I feel really bad for him and it's like I'm in a group that is just gonna like is supporting that and encouraging it and stuff like that and I was just kind of like if it was just me being affected I could have went along with it and still somewhat lived my life and just still been a part of it but when it was like my younger siblings or even close friends would come and ask me questions I could not be okay with myself just being like yeah it's whatever I had to like be true to myself, and be like, I don't agree with all this stuff, like, and then they would always be like, but you're in it, you were born in it, like, this is who you are, and it's right that it's, I was born in it, it'll always be a little bit a part of me, but I couldn't, I will not, like, represent it, you know, I won't, like, let people think that that's who I am, and that's that I agree with their teachings, and stuff like that, because that's where I draw the line, like, I, I don't want to affect, or have people look at my life and think that they can just stay in the order and everything's going to be okay. Basically yeah. this
1: maybe kind of a sidetrack question, but when you mentioned he got married at 16,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm guessing he married another young girl. Were they the same age or lo- what was the youngest that you ever saw a girl be married?
2: For me personally, it was 15.
1: 15. But, and mm-hmm. was it more typical to have the age ranges be similar? Because, like in the FLDS, a lot of times, you know, a 16 year old girl would get married to a 50 year old man. Mm-hmm. Was that typical in the Kingston, or did they keep the ages more close? Like, I've never well, heard of a 16 year old boy from the FLDS ever getting married.
0: I'm sure it happened. I don't know of anyone personally. Yeah. Not uh,
2: even like the Prophets kids? Because that's where, usually what it was. The right. prophets' kids could marry like, I, whenever. <laughs> wow. I know
0: they got uh, married younger, but personally, personal knowledge that I have, the men were typically either like 19, 20, in their low 20s in that age oh, before dang. they got married, that I okay. personally know of. yeah. hmm
2: yeah, well, it shocked me when my friend did because I even remember I didn't have my license yet and he didn't either. So I was like, how are you going to get to your wedding? And he's like, my mom's going to drive me. <laughs> oh, my, <laughs> I my word. I was like, was that, I would not typical, want to do that. Though?
1: Was that typical to get married that young as a man? And did, mm. were the young girls ever married to the older men?
2: Yeah, it, it was more typical for the girls to get married mm. younger. It was pretty rare for guys too, but because he was so close to... He was the prophet's kid, so he was mm. able to, but... That That is decently rare, I would say, but it was my own personal friend, so I, I definitely remember it very vividly, and it was crazy. Wow. Um, but for the girls, though, there are huge age gaps, but I think the order knows a little bit about legal issues, that as soon as the girl turns 18, then she can marry anyone up to 40, 50, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, once they're 18. But I have not heard of any of the, like... 15 or 14-year-olds marrying that old, usually if a 14 or 16-year-old girl gets married, it's someone that's only in their 20s or like or closer to their age. Because I think they try, once they're 18, there's no age limit at all. But at least for the really young ones, I'm pretty sure they try not to have the gap too, too big.
0: Not that it makes it okay, but that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a sister that was married when she was 15 and she married a man that I believe was almost 50. and she was his second wife so and then i have a sister that was 19 that married an 80 year old man so anyway definitely i'm glad to hear that it wasn't that at least that you know of that at least that big of a gap wasn't Mm -hmm. happening
1: yeah Yeah. it makes it sound like they're even in its own twisted way Trying to be a little bit more considerate. Like, I know.
3: Well, I don't yeah.
2: think it's considerate because their beliefs is that age doesn't matter. If, if there wasn't the government that they had to tiptoe around, they would let oh, any marriages so happen anytime. Saving their own hides. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it's for. Gotcha. Okay. But,
1: so when you decided to leave, what did that look like? Like, did you call Amanda? Did you call a different sibling? Or well, did you actually have to physically leave the community? Or were you able to stay in and like leave the beliefs?
2: Uh, no, you, it's super hard to stay in and leave the beliefs, But I, it started when I just started putting money away in my little shoebox. And it was funny because I was like, I probably do want to leave, but I was so torn. You know, it's hard to have everything you've known growing up and then just decide to change. So it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, oh, I am officially not an older member anymore. It was like, let me just put some money under my bed for just for a rainy day, just in case. And like, I swear, I was the type of person that was like, I did not have the most backbone. If anyone would have found that money under my bed, I would have been like, oh, I'm turning it in tomorrow. Like, right now. I am a dedicated (laughs) order member. I was
0: saving it up for the church. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would
2: just do whatever they want me to do. But I was always like wanting a backup plan. You know, like if things didn't go well, like I want to be able to run away, especially when I was, I think, still 16. The first time I was like having a riff with my dad, and I was like, I'm just not going to go to church today just because you know, I'm not feeling it, I'm not like, I I mean, there was rare times he let me stay home from church because I was sick and stuff, but never just because, so I just wanted to be like, just to see if I could, kind of, and he got so mad at me, and I remember being like, it was like absurd how mad he was just because I wanted to stay home from church one time, one time, you guys, it's like, (laughs) uh, just an experiment, and he would not allow it, so that's when I was like, okay. I need a backup plan just to, like, protect me from this guy, kind of, you know? Because some of the things he does is just uncalled for. Like, you can't really predict it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why he reacts the way that he does. And he has so much power that it's like he can. He can get away with it. Yeah, that's So it's the like problem. that scared me a lot, but... Wow. So
0: you started saving up money Mm -hmm. and then uh, you, I guess you waited until you were 18 before you made the big move.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think I was 17 and like a half when I was like, okay, I need to get out of here. Like things aren't looking good for me. Like I hate the situation that I'm in and I just wasn't doing anything with my life. You know, everything felt mundane. I wasn't able to progress very much. So I called up some of my, um, Actually, one of my half-brothers there was on the outside, and I was like, can I just come live with you? Can you help me to leave? And he was like, it's going to be really hard when you're 17 because in Utah, the police oftentimes will take you back to your home yep. and stuff. Yep. And so even though I was ready to leave at that point, I just felt like it was better to wait till I was 18. And then two days after I turned 18, I ended up leaving. So
0: wow okay so you say you had a, a half brother on the mm-hmm. outside yep so he must have been a part of the church at one point as well yep mm-hmm. okay and so had, had he left a long time ago or
2: like a good four years ago
0: okay and what like was he okay so he had been married and had kids probably within the church
2: no because he left right at, as he turned 18 as well i believe so. oh okay
0: i'm mm-hmm. sorry okay Okay, I got you. So you, but was it him that you moved in with when you left? No,
2: like he, it was interesting. He was my only um, brother that was on the outside. So for some reason, I, I wanted his help because I was a little bit worried about asking my sisters for help. Maybe just because of my upbringing, I thought women couldn't do as much or whatever, you know. So I reached out to him and when he couldn't, then that's when I reached out to Amanda. And, mm-hmm. the, and, and Amanda helped me fine. It wasn't when I did leave, the half brother didn't even need to help me. He was willing and was able to. But like my sisters took such good care of me that everything was
0: fine. Like I just yeah. got help from them. So that's yeah. awesome. So mm-hmm. out of
1: their 10 siblings, how many have left?
2: um four i'm the youngest one that I have left so far me and then my three older sisters so okay mm-hmm. that's so the four of you in total that have left that's yeah really mm-hmm. awesome did
0: your did your half brother leave before any of your sisters or did your sisters leave before
2: it was very close in timing that i'm not i think amanda left first then my half brother then my other sisters
0: yeah so. Good for Amanda, you know, to be able to like yeah, make a move like one. that. That's mm-hmm. it's very not very common, at least from what I've seen in the FLDS. Mm-hmm. And like I'm sure the, the she had
2: the hardest because I literally clung to her and like took her advice, and she knew the ropes to help me, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know who helped her, like. Go watch her YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, <laughs> go good. watch Amanda Ray. She's, her Ray. She's, yeah. A, yeah. she's amazing. Oh, a strong
0: yeah. woman that's been through a lot, for mm-hmm. sure.
2: And she's so. helped a lot of people, too. So, yeah.
1: That is awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. So, what was your okay. biggest culture shock after having left?
2: I think definitely it has to do something along the lines of like dating and girls in general. Because, like, all growing up, I don't think of, oh, how am I supposed to win a girl over? I just think, like, when is God gonna give me a girl? (laughs) Like that's, that's she all just falls I in gonna... my lap, right? At
1: some point, I'm just <laughs> sitting on the bus, all of a sudden I catch her and we're good.
2: <laughs> yeah, so once I left, I was like, shoot, dang, how is it going to work <laughs> now? You know, what, what do I got to do? And so that's where I think was the biggest shift for me. I had to figure out like what my beliefs were on at first, what I wanted my moral, morals to be and things like that, and then how I was going to put it all into action, so... Yeah
0: Wow. Well, before we get into any questions that you might have for us, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure everyone is going to want to know kind of what you're up to now. Mm-hmm. how are things looking for you? How did you how did you uh, overcome some of the challenges of going into the normal life like like dating and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So so what are you up to now and how, how's life these days? How long, first of all, how long has it been?
2: It's been six years now.
0: Since uh, you moved out.
2: Almost seven actually, coming up on seven. Wow. Okay,
0: so a lot has happened, I assume, in the last seven years almost.
1: We probably do another couple hours. (laughs) Yeah, we won't keep you here all day. So
0: the the, the short version of, of kind of afterlife.
2: Okay, yeah, so I'm definitely a very slow person. I felt like, I mean, I feel like I just, I didn't rush into a whole lot of things and I just took my time on everything. So when it came to dating, I still kind of thought that I would just wait for my wedding day to ever kiss a girl or to like do anything. And I thought like I knew I'd have to do something a little different. But I still believed like if I just pray really hard, then (laughs) something will work out and and I'll get married somehow. And so uh, for, for the longest time, that's how I was. And I just I never really dated. I just kind of hoped for the best. And I think a good maybe year into it, a year after I had first left. And I was like, okay maybe I should be more open-minded and I kind of had a crush on this girl too so I was like okay maybe I should do something and I had been talking to this girl a lot but I didn't dare to like ask her out or anything and I could kind of tell that she was wondering like what I was gonna do as well (laughs) so I finally just ended up kind of sending it from there and I and I was super slow like literally I'd started dating this girl basically the first girl I had ever dated in my whole life and then we dated for almost two years well we, in total we did it for about two years. But it took me six months till I, I had even like held her hand and stuff like that. So wow. I was way slow. That's a patient super, super girl. Super yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and like we were just very like I was so just getting used to it, I guess. I yeah. was really bad at all of this kind of stuff. And and I Really appreciate her, even though we're not together anymore, like everything's different now. But she was so patient with me. Mm. She was very understanding and she I needed her because she taught me so much. You know, she helped me understand, like, just how to be comfortable around a girl, how not to be so weird. You know, it's like,
0: (laughs) oh, I know, I know (laughs) the same thing happened to me because from where we're from, the man is in charge. The women don't really have much say in the matter or mm-hmm. get to make their own decisions, right?
2: Yep. And it's so hard trying to be this manly figure and be in charge when you don't know, you don't have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> you're so in the unknown and you're like, I'm supposed to be the one in charge? Like what? Oh,
0: I, I, I don't know if it was the same for you, but I pretended to know everything. Like mm-hmm. I pretended, like mm-hmm. I, I put on this face, oh, I know everything, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that it showed through as being a very cocky person. Yep. Because if you got to know me and talking with me it was pretty obvious i didn't know everything
2: yeah it didn't take me long to be humbled
0: yeah yeah me too me too
2: it was wild even i have a youtube video about my first kiss because it was a huge build-up we were together for technically it was close to two years probably a year and six months that we finally had our first kiss. What? No. Yeah, it was forever. I'm telling you. I'm going
1: to go straight to your channel. I want this whole story. Yeah.
0: Whoa. (laughs) I think the
3: YouTube
2: video will even be more specific because I read from my journal because I don't have the best memory. And so I don't remember like all the specific details. But when I told my YouTube um, video story about it, then I did. I talked, I went through my journal, remembered some of the dates and how it went and like certain things that like I'll always like that stood out to me in the moment like in the journal i was like it was a friday night and everything (laughs) like i even wrote like what song we were listening to and stuff like this so
0: so so you huge event so you've been dating this same girl for about two years yeah and then, so how did she, because she's from the outside, right? She's mm-hmm. not, she was never a part of the Kingston group.
2: Yeah, that's why I'm so surprised she was patient with me. She was like, like that very is, understanding. That is like
0: very high level patience right mm-hmm. there. Exactly. Wow. I am, not, I am not that patient. <laughs> no, she would have she left me in like a, in a month. She would have been like, oh, no kissing, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's true,
2: it is true. Yeah. And I was just awkward, too. Maybe maybe that helped. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but what's weird, though, is it was like we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, we did everything a boyfriend and girlfriend would do, but not kiss, I guess, you know? Like, we would hang out all the time. We were best of friends. And, like, uh, maybe she, like, thought I was, like, I don't know. She could have possibly thought I was maybe gay because I just wasn't into it and that kind of stuff. But it was just, like, I was just so new to it, you know? And I wanted to take it slow and like figure it out on my own terms and stuff like that. So I'm just glad.
1: That's awesome that you were able to do that though too, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when people leave like one extreme, they tend to go and flip clear to the other extreme, you know, Mm -hmm. where they want to try everything right away and too much and, and you know mm-hmm. into a not healthy balance and then it takes yeah. a long time to get to the middle so to go mm-hmm. from an extreme and slowly work your way to a middle is like such a healthy way to do that so yeah that's, that's awesome th- that you're able to do that
2: mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it was because I even in the Kingston group I tried really hard to like figure out who I was and what I truly wanted so when I left I kind of just continued that and and I really believed in like staying morally pure and things like that and so I kept those with me up to the extent of what I believed and it was weird because the transition of when it happened in my head of when I believe okay I don't have to save my first kiss for my wedding day but then of it actually happening in reality took even longer so it's like Mm. my own beliefs in my head would change every once in a while, but then it would take even longer to actually put them into action and stuff like that. So it's like, it's hard to derail 18 years of being told something and being convinced and truly believing something. Oh, I I agree with
0: you 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how did you go from being in such a, religiously, uh, how did you go from being in such a strict religion to then no longer believing uh, in religion, I guess?
2: Oh, well, I definitely believed in religion. I was like, so convinced that like I still needed to be a good disciple of God I still needed to do everything right and and even more so I think the reason why I was so afraid of kissing girls and stuff because I was like okay now that I don't have God's church to let me into heaven I have to figure out how to get into heaven you know I was actually gonna ask when
1: you left when you first left like um did you no longer believe that the prophet was a prophet like did your belief of him as a prophet go away before you left or was that after because like Sam, he still believed Warren Jess was the prophet when he left. He just yeah. didn't really? want that lifestyle. I want
0: a different lifestyle, but I still believe that one day I would probably go back. That's, that's kinda what I thought.
1: And it's common. He's had brothers also that like we've helped leave that like they Still leave believe. and they had like Warren Jess as their back screen, like the screen on their phone and stuff really? for a long time. And then they, they realized they want a different lifestyle and then they stopped believing in the prophet. Did okay. you stop believing the prophet first or did you leave? And then mm. kind of came out of the belief.
2: I definitely stopped believing first. Cause I remember one time catching the prophet of God in a lie and I was like, God can't lie. Like, how is he? How is he? How did he say what he just said? Because I was with the group of kids that he was talking about. And the prophet said, oh, this did not happen. And I was there and I saw it with my own eyes. And I was like, whoa. Okay, something is wrong. So I think I I got lucky enough to be in a situation to realize, okay, like either he is a prophet and prophets can make mistakes or he is not God's prophet, you know? And so I think it wasn't that hard for me to convince myself that he probably isn't God's prophet. So so
0: when you left the Kingston group, it was, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm done with this. I don't believe in this anymore. Mm -hmm. Moving on.
2: It was more of like, I still believe in it, but I think it's somewhere else. I felt like I was going to search, which was weird because I wish if I could talk to my younger self, I'd be like, focus more on discovering it within yourself instead of finding someone to tell you it. Because I was so focused on, okay, this isn't right. So I got to go find someone to tell me what is right, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on like reading the scriptures myself and discovering it for myself, basically. Mm -hmm. I felt that
1: way a lot when we went through our spiritual journey. I remember thinking that because when you've been raised your whole life that this is the one and only truth, mm-hmm. and then if you start dismantling that, and you're like, I don't believe that that's the truth anymore. Then you think there has to be one and only truth somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But the idea that there's this one and only, it's like. So, so then I started it. trying to look at it as well, and I'm like, but where's the one and only? Is mm-hmm. it this one? Is it this one? Is it this <laughs> one? And it took a while before I realized, like, like what you were saying, like, oh, I don't have to find a replacement. I can mm-hmm. go on my own spiritual journey myself exactly. and not feel like there's replacement. But I feel like that's very common when you leave a religion that says... It's the whole truth. Then you think, Mm -hmm. well, there has to be a whole truth out there.
0: Yeah,
2: and I think that's why I was so appealed to, or like I liked the mainstream LDS church so much because I started visiting as many churches as I could. I met with uh, Jehovah's Witness missionaries, I met with Baptist missionaries, and with the LDS missionaries. And I just like I felt so much like I needed to hurry and find a replacement to like for someone to tell me what to do because. I was scared of trust. I basically didn't trust myself. I was like, oh, if I tell myself what's right or wrong, I'm just going to do what's fun. (laughs) You know, so I was like, I wanted to get a replacement. So I started visiting with so many others and just felt I feel bad because I wish I could have talked to myself back then and been like, don't don't focus so much on just having needing someone to tell you what to do. Figure out how to decide that for yourself but okay yeah
3: you know, i can understand that
0: for sure i mean mm-hmm. but i feel like coming from a place you and i similarly coming from a place like that we do need something I mean, we need a replacement
2: at or, the time for sure
0: yeah at the time we I need agree. we need something or we go off the deep end mm-hmm. i guess you could say because we're like well either we're going to continue trying to have someone show us the way or we're just gonna like you said go off on our own and mm-hmm. just try yeah, everything. So
2: yeah. And we're so used to being followers. So it was like when the missionaries were like, hey, do this, do this. I was like, okay, tell me what else can I do? <laughs> you know, I was so ready to do whatever they told me to. Right. And so it was so easy to just fit into their form <laughs> how they wanted. Right. So. Well,
0: and not only that, but the mainstream LDS church. I joined the mainstream LDS church after moving out of the FLDS. Mm-hmm. It was so familiar, s- familiar mm-hmm. so similar oh, yeah. in teachings that it was it was a lot easier to be like okay well you know this doesn't seem like it's doing all the bad things or mm-hmm. or not so strict as the one I came from so this is probably good for me and I really mm-hmm. did feel like that at that time it was a really good decision for me to to kind of have a direction to move towards
2: oh yeah and mine was similar I even told the missionary I was like I I pretty much am Mormon I. I'm a true Mormon, like I am one of you guys. So yeah, I should be able to get baptized and join right in with you guys, no yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So you were so I don't think we've clearly said this. So you after after leaving the Kingston group, then you were baptized into the mainstream LDS church.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it how was long pretty after quick. Was it? Like I thought it was a year, but because I left on my LDS mission. I think only a year and a half after I left the order. So I'm pretty sure it was only six months because you have to be an LDS member for a year before you can serve, I think, right? And I left on my mission like exactly a year after I was a member. So I'm pretty sure it only took me six months. So it was pretty quick from what I remember, but I'm a little bit hazy on that. I don't know okay. the exact did, timeline.
1: Did you have to have any specific interview coming from a polygamous community to oh, join yeah. the LDS? Mm-hmm. And I didn't
2: get someone as cool as Jeffrey R. Holland, but <laughs> uh, I got interviewed by Elder Cornbridge and he... Oh, awesome. Yeah, and so.
1: Was that pretty cool? Or did you. I didn't understand didn't...
2: how cool they were. I was just like, understand. this old guy, how come I'm... the missionary? Because I love the missionary. I was like, how come the missionaries can't interview me? I love oh. this old guy I never met. Uh. To interview me.
1: These <laughs> awesome interviews are wasted on people who didn't understand how it, cool it was.
0: It was interesting because the same thing. I came back, I went up there, I was interviewed by Elder Holland to get baptized, before I was baptized anyway. Came back down, and next the next Sunday I was in my, at church. And a lot of the people were like, oh, my gosh, I heard that you met with Elder Hall. And I was like, yeah, and? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize, I thought that everyone met with the apostles.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially coming from the order. It's like we all meet the prophet. Exactly. One day. It's like, exactly.
0: I, yeah. I shook Warren Jeff's hand a hundred times, right? Like, it was like no big deal. And he was the prophet, right? So to me, it was, it just didn't seem like, it, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. That like so many members of the of the mainstream LDS church were like, "Whoa, you met who?" Mm-hmm. So like I,
2: celebrities, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what right.
1: was um, what did what was the main thing that was brought up in that interview?
2: Just like what my polygamous group was, and he like pretty much was saying like, "You're not a spy for them, are you?" <laughs> or something, you know? Like you're not. Some people leave those polygamist groups, go through our temple to learn stuff like the ceremonies and stuff, oh. and then bring it back to to their leaders I would and he's not like have you're not doing one of those right and i was like no i never
0: even thought about that <laughs> <laughs> now like, they mention it <laughs> 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 no. uh, because
2: also i was a little unsure because my first time going to the temple i brought a notepad because they were like oh pay attention and I, I have horrible memory so i was like i want to write down things and make sure i can look back and remember it and when they were like oh you can't you can't write things down you can't bring a notepad and stuff," i was like what that blew my mind. I was like, that's crazy.
1: Oh, this was
0: when, for your so interview? The
1: first, no, no, the no, first time no. going through the temple. Oh, through went the, to take the a temple, temple. Through
0: the temple, mm-hmm. okay. Because
2: I was so nervous because i had all grown up i was told all of the anti-mormon doctor doctrine Mm -hmm. stuff and one of them was blood sacrifices Mm -hmm. and only a year before i went to the temple i watched the movie divergent if Uh... you guys have seen that they literally have to cut themselves and put the blood in a bowl and i went i went to the temple fully prepared to cut myself and give some (sighs) of my blood i really did i was like that that kind (laughs) of makes sense i guess (laughs) and they were so secret i'd ask my other family members that had gone through the temple and be like hey what do I need to prepare for? And they'd just be like, it's all sacred. Just go with the good spirit and ready no, the learn." And I'd be yeah. like, why won't you tell me? They kept it so secret no, that I was preparing for the yeah. worst. I really was. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's one thing that I think the church is shying away from a little bit is so much secrecy, which mm-hmm. I think is a super good thing. Because yeah,
2: transparency is the best.
1: <laughs> it is. Well, because it always seems like if you're hiding something, then you're up to no good, mm-hmm. right? And, so, oh, yeah. and there's so many things that, I mean, we always do it as respectful as possible on our channel with LDS things, but there's actually very few things that you covenant to keep a secret in the Mm -hmm, temple and it's not the whole thing. And so, um, you know, talking to family members and stuff that we're going through, even we were fully believing, I was like, tried to share as much as I could with them because I felt the exact same way going Mm -hmm. through. Like, I'm like, I know nothing. And the experience was the complete, like nothing, like what I had envisioned in my head based on like temple Mm -hmm. prep Mm -hmm. classes. And I remember thinking, we own the covenant to keep these couple things secret like mm-hmm. we need to be a little bit more open so it's not such exactly. a scary experience and that's not mm-hmm. so shocking the unknown is very
0: scary i mean mm-hmm. we i remember this is when i was still part of the FLDS church one of my brothers i guess uh snuck into one of the temple front entrances or side doors or something and kind of of peeked around a little bit. And and he, he, I mean, the unknown, like I say, is so scary because we weren't aware of what the mainstream LDS church was all Mm -hmm. about. We didn't know if like he was gonna be shot at or like what was gonna Whoa. what was gonna happen with him by sneaking into the temple. The
1: little old elderly couple coming out I, it, coming out to shoot. So you.
0: anyway, but but I say this because if if it's unknown, it can be pretty frightening. Uh, mm-hmm. So so transparency is definitely a good way to go about things. Yeah,
2: especially when it's like when people don't know, they come up with the even me in my head, I'll come up with the craziest things that I could possibly think of and i've seen a lot of tv shows and movies so i can come up with some crazy stuff and it's like (laughs) i just wish so bad because honestly the things i can come up with they they, it couldn't possibly be as bad you know it's like i wish they would just tell and like that's one of the questions i want to ask someone from the FLDS because um the whole thing with the altar like uh this is way off topic and we could totally take this part out but i remember like feeling super weird about anything that was sexual at all. Mm. And I remember so one of the anti-Mormon literature was that the altar was like a bed and like people would watch them like sleep together on the bed and stuff. And I was when I found out that didn't happen in the ma- mainstream LDS church, then I was told that it happened in the FLDS church and stuff like that. And so I was like yeah. is that real? And I was like that just seems crazy.
0: So, yes, it is real and it's and some of this proof has come out recently in some of these documentaries on on uh, Keeps Netflix it. and also mm-hmm. the other one, Preaching Evil on Peacock, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. So it talks about some of these things. Mm-hmm. But but yes, in the FLDS church, there was definitely that going on. They called it a heavenly mm-hmm. session. Wow. But from what I
1: understand too, which is so... I mean, obviously Warren took it to a crazy new level. Mm-hmm. It only happened with... Warren. So even though there's altars in the LDS temple, you know, lots of people participate over altars is like what you're over for marriage and social marriage and things like that. Um, But obviously, there's nothing sexual in the LDS. But for the um, FLDS temple, the only person who had any type of sexual stuff on the altar was Warren, wasn't it? As far as what all the documentaries, <laughs> I what mean, we, understand. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even know that that happened with Warren. Like, the rest okay. of the community did not know. That was unless you were secret. part of the Heavenly Sessions. Like, his wives, his very small Wait, you have group. a sister
2: that was his wife, though. So Warren's. you not Warren. allowed to
1: tell.
0: N- not Warren's oh. wife. And not only that, but to be blunt here, the moment my sister was married into the Jeffs family... It was she was kind of cut off i mean i saw her on occasion she wasn't about to tell us about anything oh, wow. that was going on she was she was better than the rest of us at that point because she was a part really? of the jeff's family wow. and so even if even if she knew all the dirty dark secrets which i'm sure <laughs> she does uh well first of all she was never married to warren she was married to Rulin. and then warren's brother and then another Warren. i don't want to get into all that yeah, but yeah. anyway that yeah. is infuriating but but she wouldn't be telling us about what was going
1: on. Oh, like okay. it's a very secretive. Yeah. yeah. So, so was that early for you, and you realized there
2: wasn't a bed in the LDS. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I first saw the altar where you just kneel down at, and it was like, I know it's small, but in my head, I was like, Whoa, is that what that is? You know, like freaking out. And then, then you're
0: then you're making up other images of what could be going on. Mm, so exactly. yeah, exactly.
2: And honestly, like my first time going through the temple, I went through the whole thing, got to the end, and I was like, Okay, what's next? Like, this can't be all of it. Like, I was told so many things that there's got to be something crazier, you know, yeah.
0: happening. Yeah. But, See, that's funny because you and I are the same way because we came from these extreme religions that Mm -hmm. i went through the temple and i was like oh that's it oh okay someone that what isn't from a very crazy religion like ours goes through the temple and they're like whoa that was weird so (laughs) yeah growing up lds
1: even growing up lds and i like went to some prep classes and my entire life i knew so much lds doctrine and it was still so secretive that when i went through i remember it was super overwhelming and way more odd Than what I was expecting to where I was like, this is weird, Mm -hmm. but I I didn't have a whole lot of time to process because as a woman, like you go through the day before you get married. So our wedding was the next morning. So like Hmm. I go through and I remember thinking, whoa, this is a little much, but I didn't have time to process because my next thought was literally like, well, I'm getting married here tomorrow, so let's shift gears, focus on that. I can go back (laughs) and figure all that out later, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think even for LDS members, it can be a lot. And so I asked Sam like later, I was like, that was like a lot to take in and it was kind of a little odd. And Mm -hmm. he's like, really? I don't remember that. And I was like, it's probably because that's like the strangest things that happen in the LDS, I think would be considered the things that happen in the temple. And for the FLDS a temple ceremony is like the most normal thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yep. you know, so I don't No, know.
0: it's true. So I, I'm not surprised <laughs> to hear you say, oh, I wasn't that bad. And like no big deal. But, yeah. but um, I
2: did think something was getting, being kept secret because my first time going through, I remember walking past the ceiling room and they didn't let me go into it so i was like oh that's the secret
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: how do i get in there i don't know what goes on in that one <laughs> yeah so yeah, just that's
2: so true. much going on in my mind
1: oh no <laughs> you're like the altar is bigger in there i hope that doesn't mean anything else yeah. it doesn't by the way nothing weird happens in that they just have a bigger altar that you kneel at for ceilings yeah
0: well nowadays i mean 6 years ago well
2: now they have videos you can see all the rooms exactly. and stuff but
1: yeah, yeah. it's nothing,
3: nothing
0: back scary. then even even 5 6 years ago there wasn't this much impact information out mm-hmm. here but now it's a, they're being a lot more transparent in a lot of ways so oh, yeah. and for mm-hmm. anybody
1: that is like interested in wanting to know more like whenever there is a new temple built they have open houses where you can actually <clears throat> go and walk through and get to see the temples before they're dedicated once they're dedicated then it's only for members that have temple recommends but before that if you ever have an opportunity in your area to go walk through it's really cool i think you'd probably enjoy getting to see for yourself what's inside what it, and what's in kind there, of yeah, yeah not have that they're not going existence. to tell
0: you they're not going to tell you what, what happens, happens in there and all, see all that they might talk mm-hmm. a little bit now about what happens and i'm not sure well, i've they, never they
2: at least tell you the titles like like, this is the ceiling room this, this is, the is for room. the endowment yeah, okay,
0: the okay. i have i've mm-hmm. never done a, a, a one of the open houses so i'm not sure yeah but mm-hmm. nice. but uh okay well um before you have any, if i don't know if you do oh. have any other oh, sorry i have one more question Where are you yes. serve your
1: mission
2: uh um it's called the barbados bridgetown mission but it was just in the caribbean islands
0: caribbean so, island
1: english yeah. oh. speaking
0: english
2: speaking yep so it was really fun. awesome how was that it was awesome. I have a whole YouTube video on that as well. Uh, a few pictures from it too. That was my favorite. I love taking pictures on all the different islands I went to and stuff. Um, and yeah, it was cool. Honestly, one of the biggest like benefits of becoming LDS and like um, I guess being a part of the church was being able to serve that mission. Like I learned so much from it. It taught me a ton. I i would never i don't regret it at all i love it so much and i'm still lds like i still go to church every single sunday i i love the church i really do i just am not the type of person to just ignore the flaws you know it's not perfect it's not they they don't not make mistakes you know there's still some things that i think could be better but i love the church i love going to church every single sunday i love being Uh, a part of it and helping with all the service projects that they have and stuff like that and my mission was one of the greatest opportunities to serve I've ever had and I loved it it was really cool I met so many people and I loved being able to dedicate two years of purely you know reading the scriptures learning and trying to find out what I thought was true and they provided an opportunity for me to really set aside that time and Focus on what mattered to me. So
0: I thought that's, awesome. well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear mm-hmm. it for sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I've, I've said this before, but really, if anyone ever has the opportunity to just set their needs aside, forget about mm-hmm. themselves for a little bit, and just focus on helping others and serving others, exactly. it's it's life changing. It really oh, is. Yeah. What, I mean, you may not have two years, but but any <clears throat> any time to just kind of focus on other people, it helps you. Uh, I guess, feel happier in life, I would Mm -hmm. say. And know how to
2: like prioritize your true desires and wants because that was at a time in my life so vulnerable. I had gone from one religion to the next, still developing who I was, still growing, going through my young adult phases and stuff, you know? So it was just amazing to have that structure, have that opportunity and just to really focus and prioritize on that type of spiritual stuff. So
1: That's awesome. awesome. Okay, I think that's the perfect segue into...
0: Great. So, yes, no, I was just going to say before, uh, kind of, I don't know if you have more questions for us, or if you do, uh, have, I'm an open book, so have okay. at it, but before we get into any of that, I was just going to say for any of those that are still in the Kingston group, if you had something you would tell them, what would that be? Now, now knowing what you know now, coming from there, what would be like your, your message to people that are still in the Kingston group, or still in the church?
2: I think right now I would actually say that I want them to know that I've actually been um, told that I could come back to the Kingston group after all that I've been through you guys and so I would not be so afraid of taking a peek at the outside world possibly getting an apartment trying something on your own and then go back if you want to I know to all the Kingston people they're like no that's forbidden that's so bad but it's like honestly if you just could kind of take a peek on the other side and then if you choose to go back, that's just more power to you. you you've you seen your other options basically, and you still choosing to be a part of it. It's like, wow, okay. Like you at least are making that conscious decision. Whereas so many people they are there because they're there, they don't, they're like too afraid to try anything or they fear if they leave, they won't be able to come back and stuff like that. It's like, I I just wish they knew that they have so much more potential. There's so much more that they can try. And and it's not that hard on the outside, honestly. Anyone that's like determined, hardworking, and really has a desire to make it out here, you can do it. There's so much opportunity. There's so many people that are actually kind and loving and willing to help. And in the order they make it sound like that's not a thing and that you're going to become homeless and addicted to something (laughs) super fast. But... That's not the case, and you, yeah, if you if you determine and you have a true desire, you can accomplish anything in this world. And so, that's what I wish I would have known at a younger age. And I feel like that would have given me way more confidence and just the ability to go out there and just to chase my dreams. So awesome,
3: awesome. Well, so thank good. you.
0: Thanks. Great, great message. I think that would be a great message for those that are still in the FLDS or any. Anything that you're considering moving on from. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. so, thank you for that.
1: Like you said, before we, we left, we wanted Eskal to have a chance to be able to ask us some questions, and mm-hmm. we'll kind of end on that some questions that you have for us.
0: Okay, yeah,
2: there's just a few. I won't take up too much time, but I definitely wanted to know a little bit of the dynamic of your family because you had three moms or four? Was four. It? Okay, and so, so okay.
0: yeah, so three. So, when I was born, I, there were three wives in the home. Okay. And so I grew up with three, but by by the time I was about nine or ten years old, the fourth mom was brought into the home. But she was already she had previous she was a widow at this point. Mm-hmm. All of her children were eighteen or older, so they were out of the home. So she just became a part of our family and uh, but no no kids were added to the family at that point. Okay. So and So yeah.
2: did you get four times the love then? Or how did you-
0: <laughs> I guess you could say that four times of the watching eyes,
3: <laughs> four
0: times less getting away with anything. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, it, it really was like one big family. It wasn't mm-hmm. like you say with your family where the moms had their own separate homes. We all grew up as one big family. And I did truly feel that each one of these mothers, though they may have been very strict at times and, and enforcing father's laws over the top. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they were full of love and just were trying to do what they believed was best for them and for us. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah.
2: That's really cool. And so how do you like explain to people? Cause I feel like I try to let people know that like my childhood was super fun and great until it wasn't like, how do you explain that <laughs> to people? And when did the transition happen for you?
0: Oh boy. Um, I, I think that my childhood was a blast in the sense that I had a lot of, a loving brothers and sisters and family around, and I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that I was missing out on becoming a football star. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I know. I really didn't know kind of anything else, but I felt like I had a great childhood. I had a wonderful family. I had the backyard was mountains. Uh, and I, we were able to adventure a lot and go, and go do a lot of things outside. My sisters might say it a little differently. The boys got a lot more out time, uh, outside time than my sisters oh, did. Okay. But, and, and when I was younger, it was a lot more of like activities. We did big events like the 4th of July celebration was huge. We had hundreds and hundreds of people gather together and make food and play games, play music, celebrate, have a great time, nice. fireworks at the end of the night, uh, we had uh, da- even dances when I was really, really young. I never really participated because I was so little at this time.
2: Wait, why did they stop having dances?
0: Well, really? Warren Jeffs happened. And uh, oh, so I was, okay. I was getting to the transition. Mm-hmm. All of this was going on, and it seemed like, I mean, I know, and for those that are older than me and, and grew and lived a lot more than 18 years in the FLDS, I know that there were things, unfortunately, that were happening in during Roy Johnson's time, during Rulin Jeff's time, that they would definitely say were not okay. Like there were some bad things going on. But not that I personally experienced. And so so you
2: got pretty lucky then, huh? Was was it because of just your your family or was you just like naive and you didn't know or like what some of both some of both.
0: Some of both. So (laughs) before Warren Jeffs fully took over. Uh, I think that I had a really loving family. There are some dynamics within the family that, of course, I would change with my own family. Uh, and, and, you know, I just kind of take the good from there and, and, and leave the bad and change what I, what I can to be a little bit of a better uh, father for my own family. But, mm-hmm. but um, I think that I lucked out in the sense that I had a really good family that I didn't really see a lot of abuse, at least not physical. Mm -hmm. Um, any religion like that has some mental abuse (laughs) whether they admit it or not yeah so uh so yeah i think that and i think a little bit of a luck and a little bit of a really good family okay nice that's really cool yeah so but then when warren jeffs took over he took away all the fun, even the word fun. And no joke, <laughs> oh. we were not allowed to say fun. Wow. And took away the library that had the books that when I was a young boy, I would love to go to this library and sit there and read some of these children's books. Mm-hmm. He took that away, uh, took away the bikes that we would love riding around town. He, he basically just took away everything that we enjoyed doing uh, in a pretty short period of time.
2: Mm-hmm. And you, you believed in him, though. So in your head, was you like... Yeah, this is meant to be, or like.
3: Yes, at first, it? at
0: first it was definitely this is meant to be, and this is what God wants. It was always told to us that it's not what Warren wants; it's what, it's what God wants, and so of course oh. we, believing that he was a prophet, mm-hmm. we agreed with him and just went along with it. Okay. Dang. And uh, so anyway, that's just one thing led to another, and uh, when I turned eighteen, I just realized, you know what, I don't want this lifestyle right now mm-hmm. and but i still believe that he was a prophet believe it or not that's how ingrained in my brain it was
2: wow okay so. so i'm assuming you've never like caught him in a lie or anything like that you've never like anything he said you've never questioned it or wondered at all uh, not,
0: when, you said not when i was there not oh, really? not when i was there no i thought it was all him just doing what he was told to do by god and that he was Doing the best he could, I had no idea what was going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So every wow. time I saw him in a church meeting and all of that, and I was always told mm-hmm. by my parents to be more like him. And so I would just kind of look at him like, okay, so I'm going to try to be more like him and this way and that way. You know, like he, he was looked at as like this idol that we almost worshiped, you know. Wow. There's still
1: things, I mean, Sam's been out for 14 years, mm-hmm. and there's still mm-hmm. things now. That, like, when we watch these documentaries, Sam will go, I had no idea that was happening. Really? Oh, even yes. all these Whoa. years later, even all the things that he's learned about Warren just oh. up to this point, there's still things that he's like, I've never seen that picture of Warren mm-hmm. at Disney World before. Like, I know no idea if that Warren happened.
2: went to Disney World? <laughs>
0: See? Oh. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, watch so the he, documentary. Uh, Keeps
1: me <laughs> praying, obeying Netflix. Mm-hmm. We what? have reviews on all of them. Well, we still yeah. have to do the finale, but... Yeah.
0: But yes, he was—he uh, was just living his best life. I mean, he was partying and just all over the place, spending mm-hmm. the money from the hard workers of the community that were giving oh. him everything. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, there is so much I did not know was going on.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, and sometimes that makes it easier, right? I oh mean, yes. When you're growing up in it, you just don't want to know everything a lot of the times. But yeah.
0: Depending um, on to depending on to what point you are harsh word here, harsh word alert. uh uh, brainwashed depending on Mm -hmm. to what point you're brainwashed because if you're if you are convinced to the point that he is god basically Mm -hmm. then uh no matter what he does and this happened with a lot of the women there some of the stuff he was doing with these women or in front of these women uh, you think man how could they possibly not just turn around and run out the door Mm -hmm. they were convinced that it wasn't what he wanted it was what god wanted him to do Mm -hmm. and so it was i mean it depends on to what point you're convinced the, that that uh, that maybe you catch him doing something bad and you're like oh well maybe I maybe there's just so much out there I don't know maybe this is okay you know mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah and they definitely it, put him up as a god figure because I could not believe when the documentary uh, Keep Sweet Pray and Obey said some of the members believed that the prophet was couldn't die basically right correct oh, the couldn't like, oh, Ru- yeah. Warren's
0: Warren's dad mm-hmm. uh, father Rul- Rulin. Rulin.
2: Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think you believed that, right? But... How? So no, I
0: I didn't really hear that. I wonder if it was yeah. more told to the closer people to the family, to the Jeffs family. But because he
2: was so
1: pretty young when he
2: died too. Well, I like was, he was the second though. He wasn't the first, so obviously one of the prophets already died. So why would they believe? Well, not
0: even the second. He was several down the line. Oh uh, really? Okay. It was oh just wow.
1: Specifically that they it was they, they
0: were they were saying that Ruth and Jeffs was going to be the last prophet living
1: because the millennium really? would happen because the second coming would happen. So he would be the last prophet necessary before Christ came back to the earth. It was a
0: weird Jeff's claim that came from nowhere. I don't think it was ever told that the prophet wasn't going to die until Ruthen became the prophet. Okay, okay. So, yeah, very interesting. But then he died, and then and then Warren was going to be or is supposed to be the last prophet now. Okay, (laughs) and he's in prison, (laughs) but he can't die apparently. So we going to be there a long time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, forever is really what it's looking like. Mm -hmm. So.
2: Um, okay, so what about then your father relationship? Because did you also see your father kind of like as a God or like could do no wrong? Or what was that like?
0: I, I don't know if I'd go as far as God, but uh, a, I guess in a way, in a perfect figure that we were supposed to be like him and obey everything he says. The mothers mm-hmm. in the home would enforce his laws and enforce his rules to make sure, and even even to this day, if I had the opportunity to talk to my mother over the phone, she would say, just remember to to listen to father, to follow father, to do what he says, mm-hmm. right? Like she wow. would still tell me that today if I had that opportunity to talk to her. Hmm. Hmm. So that's how like it was all about just be like father. Okay. But it wasn't the relationship, unfortunately. And this is one of the things that I leave behind and don't want for my own family is, the relationship between father and son wasn't wasn't really there. Um, mm-hmm. He was a, a father figure to me, but not a daddy. He wasn't someone that I could mm-hmm. go to if I had a boo boo and I needed to go mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and cry in someone's arms. He was not. Yeah. He was not there in that way. He was more mm-hmm.
1: disciplinary. Like if something, if Sam was in trouble, then he yes. would go and talk to his. Father. If,
0: if you got in big trouble, especially as a teenager, once you get older, then. The, Basically, if you went to father's office, it was because you were in trouble.
2: And is your dad still alive today? Yes. So what would it be like if you saw him today? Like, if you had the opportunity somehow, (laughs) some way, it worked out.
0: Yeah. um, So um, I'm able to have some type of relationship with him at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not going to get into too many details. I don't want to get anyone Mm -hmm. in trouble, but... um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's as good as it can be. I'll say that. Really?
2: Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. I didn't expect that. I, yeah. with my dad, it's really hard. Cause like I already bring a ton of heat on him because of my channel and my sister Amanda already has pretty much gotten him in so much trouble. But, uh, anytime, like for some reason to me, I can't help but in the back of my mind, I still a little bit want to like talk to him and like, I don't want to be a part of his life really. But I a little bit like to meet up with him or see him and and kind of want to know why he lives the way that he does or like mm-hmm. I don't know for some reason I I like being able to talk to him on the rare occasions that I do. But it is very strange how it's not it it doesn't seem like I'm going to go talk to a dad at all. No, you know, it's just yeah. talking to this acquaintance that has been there a third of my growing up kind of. <laughs> so It's kind of
3: interesting.
0: Interesting, I yeah. I mean, it would. It's definitely. I don't know, I think even if let's say your father or your dad chose to leave the Kingston group, mm-hmm. I still I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but I, because of the way he was raised and because of the way he has been his entire life, I do you believe that there would be a chance that he would become that daddy figure for you that you could go and 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 you know talk to him about regular stuff and he would be there to kind of like a regular dad, or do you think he would still be kind of standoffish?
2: Well, because of his upbringing, it would be hard. I have hope in anyone, though, because I never would have guessed that I could get to where I am today because of my background. But if you blame your background for everything, then you'll never get anywhere in life. And so sometimes I'm always like, well, I can't hate my dad forever because his dad was way worse than than my dad is to me. And so he didn't have a father figure for a good example and stuff. But, I mean... I still blame my dad because my dad had the power and ability to make my life not a living hell, you know. And so it was up to him to decide to continue that same neglect and and father figure, I guess, that his dad did or to change it. And he chose not to. So I still do put a lot of blame on him. But I do acknowledge and understand that his dad was even worse. And like he... My dad thinks he's a great dad because he's comparing him to his dad, you know, and so it's like I understand where he's coming from, but I still don't accept that, you know, like that's not good enough. It doesn't doesn't make everything you do okay just because there's worse out there, right? Yeah. So. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Yeah. mm -hmm. So, yeah. No, it's interesting. It's. uh, I, I wish I could have a better relationship with all of my family, but it is good to see some of my family leaving and the same for you. I'm, you know, having some people leaving the community and all of that, Mm -hmm. but, but um, yeah, hopefully one day we'll both be able to have great relationships with our parents. And <laughs> That's the
2: whole... I mean, my dad is very stubborn. And literally, I don't feel like I ask too much. All that I ask, basically, is for him to treat me like an outsider instead of a son of perdition, you know? Because they, they see me as worse than a regular outsider. So it's like even harder for me to come over, even just say hi or whatever, because yeah. I knew the truth and denied even it, there. you know? So they yeah. see me as even worse. And I'm like just treat me like an outsider just put it <laughs> because they interact with outsiders every once in a while they have to work with them on the rare occasions and yep. this, that's all i want i'm not asking for him to let me move back in don't, <laughs> i don't even need him to love me you know i don't i feel like we're beyond that point i just wish that i could still come around the family and see them that's it and mm-hmm. to him i guess that's too much to ask for him and, and his perspective but to me i'm like that seems a little bit reasonable but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's interesting i mean if, yeah. if it,
0: Based on my experience, it's uh, they're, they're afraid that you would be spreading bad influence to the family. That's why they don't want you around because they don't want you to come around and show that oh, it's actually okay out here, mm-hmm. right? It's actually yeah. not or that. You
1: that. Could be
2: happy. Yeah, they don't want them to because I think it's because he's he might be telling lies about me. And so if my siblings see me, and then just like with my sister Amanda, I realized that he told lies about her. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> if I come around the family, they'll realize that. I'm not high on drugs all the time. <laughs> no, I'm not super crazy or homeless or anything like that. And so mm. I hope my siblings don't think that. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's kind of crazy. Um, oh, but one last one. Is that yes, okay? Yes, definitely. Because um, I think a big part of the secondary crimes come from the law of one above another. And so I'm curious how that was for you guys in the FLDS. How did you guys report issues or like, you know, Basically send your messages to the prophet or leader or whatever.
0: Yes. So there was definitely a chain of command. That's, that's for sure. There were, there were bishops uh, mm-hmm. and there were counselors to the prophet that were below him kind of overseeing a lot of the stuff that was going on in the community. So and then, of course, below them was your individual fathers throughout, you know, the father of the family. Mm-hmm. So as far as that goes, um, I know of people that were forced out of the community or kicked out because of something they did or claimed that they did, and they were, and then they had to go away and repent, for example, mm-hmm. and, and so they would have to send letters about their repentance process to the father of the family who would then pass it to the bishop who would then pass it to the to the prophet or you know It's some some of something along those lines. There was always like a chain of command
2: mm-hmm. And was there ever any ways around it or was that just your only
0: option? You mean like to be able to go directly and talk to the prophet?
2: No, not not necessarily that but I think a big issue with the Kingston group itself is the fact that um, If there's something wrong, they suppose we have the chain of command for you to fix the problems but if your abuser is the one above you, then it's almost like you can't do anything uh, about it. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: okay, I see what you're saying now. Yes, yeah. no, that is definitely for sure the case out there. Mm-hmm. That if the if okay. the women if the women are being abused by the men, they are not supposed to say anything. Wow, they they're supposed to just shut up and be obedient. In Dang. there, we
1: have some of the manuals on yeah. that Warren just has written for the women. And even in there, it says, if your priesthood holder is having problems, you need to support them and build them up. Because if the church finds out, like if the prophet finds out that the man is struggling with his priesthood, well, then it's your fault for showing his faults to the prophet.
0: Whoa. And then when they
1: lose their priesthood, it's on the head of the woman.
0: Dang. Yeah, then it's all their fault. Then it's all the
1: woman's fault for for um, showing the man's weakness to the prophet. Wow. Even if that includes abuse. Dang.
0: And in the rare occasion that a woman felt uh, bold enough and brave enough to confront the prophet mm-hmm. about something, it was always, oh, it was, yes, it was shut down. And it was always, oh, you think that your way is better than God's way? Like, you really Dang. are coming to me about this? Are you kidding me? It was yes. that, that he, that's how it was handled. So, and that you
1: need wow. to submit better to your husband. Yeah.
3: so. Dang.
0: So hmm. very much so. I, I now I understand where you were coming from, mm-hmm. and yes, there was definitely that the uh, the the it was a patriarchy, and mm-hmm. the men were way above the women.
2: Dang! Wow! And I, to me, I see that as even the, one of the biggest issues. Oh, yes. Giving so much power and having control. And so that that seems like one of the worst things about it.
0: But I agree because it allows so much abuse to be mm-hmm. just swept under the rug.
2: Yeah, and it gives them so much power that it's not only are they above the law, but they're above their wives, they're above the families, they're above anything, you know. They mm-hmm. can just do whatever they want and yeah. just no no repercussions, I guess. But
0: so speak up. Crazy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> speak well, up. Well,
1: <laughs> did you have any other questions for us or
0: I think that's basically it. That's, awesome! All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so. Thank you for being here. Happy. And you said you had something you wanted to to give us. Oh yes, I'm so oh, glad. Yeah. To well, <laughs> you. I totally would have forgot, but
2: I brought these a long way, and it was really hard. So I want
0: to make sure. That <laughs> You're I by so the way, sweet. we have no idea what he, this is. By the no, way, this he is, he is a complete said, surprise. So I'm excited. Okay.
2: It sounds okay. heavy. It sounds well, heavy. the first one is a mint candle. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Of, Did you, well,
0: you make this? Yes.
2: Uh, I have no. a YouTube video about making it, too. And Whoa. I actually
0: juggled them. And then
2: I have this lavender one, Ooh.
0: too. Oh. So I got it. I got it. Oh, this smells mm-hmm. so good. You make
2: this? Yep. Mm-hmm. I home make I just recently started making them because my sister, so I also have this for you guys. This oh, is kind of from man. me and my sister. Oh. My sister makes these cool little mugs. And so oh, this I is love from the us. Yes, thank you. Oh, awesome. I've seen these on her channel as well. And this is her artwork, right? Well, and mine. I helped is her with too? these ones, yeah. This oh. one was when we did a collaboration. We both worked on the art project. Wow.
0: And, you know, oh,
1: I so. love it. Thank you. And yeah, you I can't so believe much. I can't believe you make these. They smell so good. And they're so nice. cute. I love them. Do these you
0: do too. you sell these?
2: Uh, I'm going to. Yeah, okay. they'll be on um, Amanda Ray's web- website on just culty things or whatever like that, so.
0: Okay, yeah. well, awesome. Well, awesome. check them out. Well, that well, smells great. So <laughs> and we were so
1: happy to have you on. Yeah, Again, yes. if you like hearing more mm-hmm. about how Sam was raised in polygamy, please like and subscribe. Also, go to Eskel's channel, oh, yeah. E-S-K-E-L, Grant. <laughs> if and you spell
2: it right, you'll find it. You'll famously. find
1: it. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. We are... This is so sweet of you. So Uh, thoughtful. Um, If you would like to hear more about what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, please like and subscribe. And please go to Eskel's channel, E-S-K-E-L, Grant. And go like and subscribe his videos as well. Yes. Support him with these. They smell so good.
0: I I, I didn't smell that one. I'm
1: sure his channel will announce Mm. when they are out for sale. So Mm -hmm. thank you all. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you all. Talk to you soon. Thank you,
2: guys.